Did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday? You football guy? You watch some uh, football? I did not. Are we live? Are we alive yet? Yeah, we're live-ish. Live. We're live-ish. One second. Yeah. <laughs> you watch? You watch any sports? No, and I, I know that's probably shocking to you and a lot of other people. I know you're really into the, the sports as well, but no, I love I uh, MMA, and I and I really, uh, you know, as a kid, I loved I really loved football a lot. But as I've gotten older, haven't had the time to watch it. You know, the time the time commitment to you. Do you watch any TV and and any shows or anything? No, I have the Netflix, or the mm-hmm. Roku, and Amazon Prime type thing. So I'll pick something off of that to watch, usually in the background. But never any television or anything that isn't unplanned. So I don't subject myself to something that I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to watch or I'm going to see. It's more planned than that. Uh, have you always been like that? Yeah. Yeah, I never re- really watched TV and uh, I s- never watched sports. No, I was always a, I was a super nerd. Mm. So I was just reading all the time. Yeah. Staying home, reading in my little cave, researching ever since I was 12. Well, even younger. Was that kind of like your, uh, like your form of entertainment kind of thing? Yeah. Obsession with learning overall. And I think I got it from my dad. My dad, even as I'm four years old in the car and my dad's listening to men are from Mars, women are from Venus on a cassette tape. So I grew up listening to self-help and de- personal development sort of. Audio yeah. Tapes. My poor son, it gets crushed by that all the time too. He's like, dad, you got any headphones? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he actually listens to it though. And we end up, uh in some pretty good discussions. He's like, you really believe that if you, you know, that if you just think of stuff that it can happen for you, like you really just think if you think of a Lamborghini that it can just happen for you. I was like, it's worked that way for me. Wow. That's an awesome (laughs) question for a kid to ask. That's the wonderful thing about having access to all this personal development stuff, because in school you get such a low level of foundational knowledge about the world. You really learn from other people that you don't have access to in person, but through audiobooks and and books and seminars, then you can really learn some amazing things. Yeah, I, I you know, obviously, like, you know, this kind of idea that you can have anything that you want might be a little bit uh, overkill. Like you, you, like our our time has passed. You and my, you and my, our time has passed. We cannot transfer over into becoming nba basketball players or we can't be in the olympics for archery probably right um we could try you know we can we can certainly be a lot better than we were yesterday uh we can improve quite a bit but man like you know certain things are kind of almost off limits because you end up with i guess a, a restriction on your maybe genetics and if you didn't start early enough maybe it's just that much harder yeah, good point. <laughs> Not we can't do everything, but hey, through our kids we can. Yeah, that's that's right. right. If you wanted to be an NBA player, you can help your kid become an NBA player. Second chance for your genetics to to reach those dreams. So you seem to be obsessed by this uh, this kind of I guess limitless life in a way, like limit limitless size, limitless strength, uh, limitless muscle, um, and, and not just having muscle, not just being strong, but but being in good shape. Like that's important to you. Uh, where did this obsession start? The way you phrased it made me think of it from a different perspective. It's almost like when that's you tell I'm me. That's because I'm a genius, by the way, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. Yeah, and I bet you're the same way. That If someone tells you you can't do something, then you want to do it even more. You want to prove them wrong. So there's an element of that in what I do, which is, oh, you know, you can't. You can't be that muscular and without living, without eating six meals a day. And, and so I like to find, find the shortcuts. How can I have 
how can I break the rules in a way that's healthy and still sticks with my values, but can make me superhuman with uh, a shorter path? So that's what with the bodybuilding chemistry and all the advanced experiments that I do. It's it's first create the vision. What do you really want to be? You, not what does society want you to be? What do you really want to be? And then how do we actually get there? And forget everything you know and you've been taught because that's all taught you to be mediocre. How do we become superhuman in all the ways we want to become superhuman? And a lot of that is available to us now through advanced chemistry that not a lot of people know about. I think a lot of people are obsessed with thinking about things that they don't want rather than actually really pinning down what they're looking for. So somebody might say, you know what? They might cry. They might say, I'm sick and tired of it. Uh, I'm, I'm done with this shit. I'm done being fat. And tomorrow I'm going to make a change. And I think that when you, when you think about what you don't want, it doesn't give you like a clear vision. And I think some of the problems start to, uh, some of the problems get created kind of by your subconscious mind, which is overpowering, makes up 92% of our brain. 8% of our brain is our conscious mind. So you have your subconscious brain telling you that you can't do certain things because maybe you have a little bit of the wrong vantage point. What do you think is uh, something in your life that has allowed you to have a vantage point of, I can figure this out. I, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how to be jacked. I'm going to figure out how to be strong. I'm going to figure out how to be in shape uh, and strong while being lean. I guess I'm a, a cynic because I learned at a young age not to believe everything I read, not to believe everything I see. I learned through trial and error, which is both good and bad because it's a painful process. It's a painful way to learn through trial and error rather than just learning from other people. But it also allows me to open up my mind to possibilities and options that other people discounted. So other people might say, it's not possible to have a bodybuilder's physique without living the bodybuilder lifestyle of the diet and the training. And I say, well, maybe it is. Maybe the chemistry behind our physique is more important than we thought. And maybe if we nail the chemistry perfect, maybe the training and the diet aren't as important. So not that that's the case, but uh, because I go back to the drawing board and I forget everything I know, I can come in with a creative, fresh perspective, which opens me up to more ideas and solutions that other people might've written off. There's a saying, uh, says, uh, be open to anything and attached to nothing, you know? So if you're open to new ideas and new concepts, you give them a shot for a little while and, you know, you could try something out for maybe a month, two months then you're going to kind of know like, okay, that probably wasn't great. That probably didn't work out so well for me, but don't be attached to any one thing. And I think that's what happens to people is they, they want to believe that something it works a specific way. Maybe, maybe somebody's excited about the carnivore diet. Cause I've talked about it before because my brother's talked about it. And so they so badly want to attach themselves to this premise, uh, that they're giving up maybe, uh, what fits into and pieces into uh, their puzzle of their lifestyle and what they're currently doing. And so uh, I agree a hundred percent, like these things, they have to really kind of uh, match up. You mentioned uh, having some, you mentioned trial and error. What have, what are some of the errors that have happened? Oh, wow. Errors. See, I'm such an optimist. I'm so positive that I, I try to forget the errors because there's been some painful ones. And this is a common theme on this podcast because we have many successful people on this show and uh, we'll get into you know, how he's been successful in a, in a little bit. But when I ask people like, Hey, wh where have been the mistakes? A lot of them will say there really hasn't been. And that's because when 
when you get ahead in life, you rewrite your story. Your vantage point of, of yesteryear is way different. Like there may have been times where you felt like a bum. There may have been times where you felt inadequate. There may have been times you didn't feel smart enough, strong enough, fast enough, lean enough or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's now when you look back at it, you have created such a strong will that some of that's almost erased. Mm-hmm. That's the way, that's the way I kind of end up looking at it. Cause somebody might ask me, what are some things that you, uh, fell short on? I'll be like nothing, <laughs> you know, but when I really think about it, there's, there's been many. Well, there's, so there's the experiments that I've done that have gone wrong, right? Like <laughs> I've injected myself with things that in, I ended up really sick. Uh, and then there's also the life choices that I, that I made really, a lot of really bad decisions. Relationships is one I really struggled with that I've, but because I struggled, then I, I had such a better outcome. Like I had to go through that struggle because that's how I learn. On the other hand, I, I think sometimes, what if I could go back in time and tell myself that polygamy was the type of relationship for me at a young age. And so I wouldn't have gotten locked down with some of the terrible relationships that I had. I would have prevented that trauma. But then would I really have appreciated it in the end? I think I had to go through all that pain mm. and the same thing with the experiments. I had to go through a lot of bad experiments to see what doesn't work in order to find that what does work. And some of it's for myself because then I figure out more about what me and what works for me. And a lot of it's also for the greater for society to pass down this information to my children and the public on podcasts like this of, of what I've learned. So I had to be the one to suffer through the experiments and the trial and error but now I'm to a point where I can share that information to other people, save them the pain, hopefully. And then that's, what's rewarding to me. Tony huge is injecting himself with foreign chemicals for our sins, basically. (laughs) Um, why, why do you think it is that successful people, uh, a lot, a lot of successful people, thousands and thousands of successful people, you see it all the time. You look at uh, the headlines of uh, some of these uh, entertainment shows. Uh, you see like People Magazine and you see these divorces and these things happening all the time. Why do you think successful people struggle sometimes with relationship? I mean, everyone struggles, whether you're successful or not successful. But it seems like uh, when someone's really successful and really determined towards one thing, that maybe it doesn't fall in line with, uh, it maybe doesn't always fall in line with being with somebody uh, forever. Yeah, so I have a lot of examples of this. One was I think it was my brother telling me about how these uh, these super successful guys will hire people to help them find a good relationship because they have developed such, they've put all their time and energy and focus into business, but they've neglected this other part of their life. Mm. So like the relationship part of our life is is another part that requires nurturing and learning. And if we're so focused on business, we may not be learning the side of the relationship. Just like someone could be book smart, but not street smart or vice versa. So it takes time and learning and, you know, women, we're men. So talking about relationships, like learning a woman and learning what a woman really wants and what motivates them and makes them happy and gives us the type of relationship we want is, is a lot of either education through, I highly recommend everybody read books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. I don't even remember what it says, but it's ingrained in my subconscious and it changes the way I communicate with them. And I realize Things like the golden rule, I think the biggest mistake that I was taught when I was young is the golden rule. My mom always used to say, treat people how you want to be treated. And it took me so much pain and trial and error to, to realize that people want to be treated differently. And then we have the four languages of love. And, you know, I personally, get someone like a female giving me a gift means not very much to me, but the physical attention and affection means a lot to me. 
And so learning what, how we interpret love and how we receive love and how we give love. So it's all part of that educational process and successful people when they're focused on business, they're not oftentimes have the energy and time to focus on things like relationship or their physique or so it, that's why, um, <laughs> you can have someone who's really good at one thing and suck at everything else. And that's, that's totally normal. It just means that they, <laughs> for, for their, an let's say a superstar athlete or successful superstar businessman, they can teach other people about business, but then they need to learn from other people about things like relationships. And it's hard when you're really good at something and you develop an ego about it. It's hard to admit you don't know everything and be vulnerable and open yourself up to learning because to be in a mental state of learning and open-minded, you have to drop your ego. You have to admit, I don't know everything. I'm here to learn. So when someone's super successful in one part of their life and suck in other parts, they have to, the number one thing they can do is admit that they suck in other parts of their life and overcome that ego. And then they can start learning. Yeah. And imagine like you have a business and, uh, you know, you're, you're at work and somebody shares these reports with you and you, you just found out you did a hundred million dollars worth of business and everyone's pumped and, uh, everyone has these certain feelings and everyone has this certain, they're kind of putting you up on a pedestal. Like you're their leader, you're their boss. And everyone's so, everyone's all excited. Then you get home and the wife's like, Hey, I need you to help with the dishes and help with the kids. And right. It's like kind of how, how does somebody unwind their mind from that, uh, gigantic, uh, stimulus that they got. Now they got to be, you know, just a dad. Right. And for some people, some people understand like, Hey, look, you know what? Wait a second. Let me figure this out. Let me make sense of this. Let me sit down for a minute. Okay. Being a dad is the number one thing that I have, you know, and, and, uh, let me kind of put that other stuff in a different compartment. I'll celebrate it, you know, some other time and let me, you know, do the dishes or take out the garbage or whatever it might be. This is why it's really important to have someone that you love and trust that you can receive constructive criticism from. It can also keep your ego in check, right? So like your wife, for example, like you might get a big head about being your superstar <laughs> power lifter and an educator and you just keep growing. But then your wife got to remind you sometimes, hey, you're still Mark Bell. You're still the guy I fell in love with. You're still that same person. Don't let the ego get to you so much. And then that way you can come back to a place of, of learning and humility and, and being humble with, with your family. She has a different way of saying it. Actually, the other day I was posing and uh, I'm posing in front of the mirror and I was like, because uh, I've, I've been a little bit more strict with my diet recently and I'm getting ready to do this uh, power of thing meet uh, this Saturday coming up. I want to bench uh, 500 pounds at 220. And, uh, I was like, Hey babe, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm getting like really lean. I'm like, I think I'm like almost as lean as I was at the bodybuilding show. I'm like, and I'm kind of like joking around and I'm like flexing and stuff. I'm like, and she's like, Oh, whatever. And, uh, I'm like flexing my quads. I'm like, there's some striations coming through. I was like, you gotta, check. I was like, you gotta check this out. This is important. I'm like, I got striations in my triceps. And, uh, she was just like, would you just stop and just get ready? And then she just walked past me and I was thinking, uh, I was thinking to myself, you know, I get slammed on Instagram all the time, you know, just cause you know, everyone's going to have some haters here and there, but I was thinking, man, if they only knew how hard and how bad my wife kicks my ass with her comments, they, they, they would pale in comparison to anything anyone's ever said to me on, on the internet. Oh, I, I feel, I feel that exact same <laughs> thing with, with, uh, haters and then versus like baby mama or, or stress yeah. versus like home stress. It's like, you guys think you get stressed me out. You got nothing on baby mama. <laughs> That's right. Baby mama's learned how to, how to manipulate my emotions and say, like deliver the stiletto 
deliver the st- the the secret weapon right. against my emotions. There's nothing anybody else out there that can say they can <laughs> compare. So how how did you get into uh, just weight training in, uh, in the beginning? Uh, two different motivations. One was to get a girl because she wanted. Uh, it was sixth grade. And she learned that uh, having a guy with abs was the thing, was a cool thing for a girl to do, have a boyfriend with abs. So I had to go to the store and buy the magazines and learn how to build abs was the first muscle I focused on at age 12 or so when I was in sixth grade. And the other motivation was, I I guess my parents were sort of conspiracy theorists in, in a way which their conspiracy theories all turned out to be accurate. <laughs> now what, like 30 years later? And and so I felt like if if you want to survive, the next generation of evolution is going to be the evolution that we cause ourselves, not natural selection. We get to choose whether we're the elite that are going to continue on in, in society and in the world. And there's going to be a separation between the elite and the mediocre. And I grew up with that belief at a young age and I wanted to be elite. So I focused on mind, body and spirit, all three angles to try and make myself superhuman. Was there uh, anything that happened in particular that made you feel that way? It was like, you know, did you, uh, cause like a lot of times things like that are like almost out of like anger or something like that, or almost out of like some sort of fire. Did it come from anything? In okay. Particular? So there was some negative. So there's always positive and negative reinforcement going away from pain and going towards pleasure is what motivates humans uh, because of our brain chemistry. And so going away from pain would also be that I was a, a nerd and I didn't think I deserved to be liked and, I thought if I want people to like me, I have to be super, super, super duper amazing. And especially like even just with getting girls, I thought, okay, I don't know how to chase girls. So I'm going to be so awesome that the girls are going to chase me, which, which ends up working out. It does work, but it's a lot harder than just learning how to talk to girls in the first place. <laughs> but see, that's another thing I had to learn by trial and error. If I could go back in time and tell myself, Hey, getting girls is easy. You just, here's a one, one piece of paper, what girls want and what they think and how to get girls and do that. And if I went back in time and told myself that I might not have had that carrot dangling in front of me that makes me become a better person. I mean, maybe I did it for the wrong reasons when I started weightlifting because to get a girl, maybe that's a superficial thing. And for the wrong reasons to get the wrong type of girl, but it worked for me and it got me, it let me beat that level of my life and get to where I am now. So I, I don't know if I'd change it. Are you trying to tell me all these years of bench pressing <laughs> it isn't the most effective way? You know, it, it's funny. Yeah. When you, when you put it that way, right? Like, uh, there's actually that meme of like, uh, there's a guy like on a bench press and then it, mm. and it shows, uh, like what you think in your head. And it's uh, like all these girls are going to, you know, clamor around the bench press. And then the, the reality is that it's uh, a bunch of dudes that are going to kind of clamor around the bench press, right? It's a bunch of sweaty Indian dudes <laughs> that want to that wanna swarm you and hug you and hold you tight and hold your hand. <laughs> I say that because I went to India and that yeah. was like the epitome. Like I never got more attention for my muscle than when I was in India swarmed by dudes because there's no women anywhere there. There's just men everywhere and they all love the muscle. But yeah, you're exactly right. It attracts more uh, men and respect from men than it actually does does women. Yeah. It might've been, might've just been easier, uh, you know, not tearing a bunch of pecs and not tearing a, a tricep. It would probably would have been a, a lot, lot easier just to, uh, pretend that I was paying attention to what they had to say and pretend that I care. Yeah. Yeah. I did a video on relationship starts tomorrow. Another YouTube channel that I have where I talked about the most powerful tool, 
uh, for women in relationships is earplugs. So you just put them in and you just look at the girl. That way you're not analyzing and trying to find solutions to their problems. You're just being a good listener and nodding your head and <laughs> admiring her beauty. And then at the end of the conversation, you know, you're thinking, oh my God, she's going to be mad. I didn't hear what she said. But the truth is she's like relieved and she feels good. She got able to let her emotions out. Men definitely can talk too much. We can talk, talk the girl out of maybe, uh, anything they were thinking that was positive about you. We need to be a good listener. That's what they want. Good listener. So how, so you started lifting at a young age, started lifting at 12 and, uh, you know, where did this kind of obsession, like really where did this, uh, switch flip to where you were like, all right, bodybuilding and I'm going to train for strength and I want to figure out, you know, these shortcuts and that kind of stuff. So I didn't start steroids till I was 30. I'm 36. So I've been on steroids for six years with very few breaks. Cops are here. They're coming in. <laughs> and there's the evidence here, the paraphernalia. The oh yeah. You're going down. In my hand. Downtown. <laughs> uh, actually right now I'm on a prescription testosterone replacement therapy and an injectable SARM. So I'm, I'm totally ever got a prescription for everything I have. I'm totally legal, but yeah, a lot of, uh, legal ish. Yeah. <laughs> 50% the gray area, right? Yeah. A lot of, a lot of black area, gray area, other <laughs> color area type compounds running through my body over the last six years. But I only started the steroids because I thought I was an incredible condition until I went to a bodybuilding show. I never went to a bodybuilding show and saw it in person. Well, I guess I just couldn't relate to it. One of my friends competed and I saw how shredded he was and I'd seen bodybuilders in magazines, but it just didn't seem like real, you know, even in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I saw my friend do it and made such a crazy transformation, I was like, okay, I need to take it to the next level. I've been lifting for nine years, um, natty with no progress. So I lifted since I was 12, but when I hit 21, I pretty much hit my natty potential. There was, I wasn't going to grow any more muscle without adding in the, the steroids or performance enhancing drugs. So I, then I sort of felt like, wow, I've wasted nine years of my life beating my body up, making no progress. I felt like an idiot actually. Uh, so if I could go back, I would have actually started steroids a lot longer, not trying to encourage young people to take it. But I mean, you reach a certain point with a natural plateau where either you might as well just say, okay, I won, I beat, I, I, I reached my genetics or you say, what can I do to take it to the next level? How can I remove this glass ceiling? So that's what I did when I was age 30. And, and, uh, there's still kind of a ceiling though, right? I mean, uh, you know, like the continuation of getting stronger. It's like, it's like playing a certain uh, hand, right? Like you, uh, like steroids might've been, uh, your ACE, but you know, once you play it, you play it and it's not like, uh, it accumulates on top of itself any further. It just is going to give you maybe let's just for argument's sake, say it gives you 20 pounds of muscle, which is a crazy amount of muscle, right? But let's say it gives you 20 pounds of muscle and over a three or five year period extends your strength gains and extends some of the gains that you could have. Uh, but then at some point it, it, uh, it doesn't continue onward past that. Is that, do you feel that's correct or what's been your experience? Uh, you can keep continuing and keep growing, but it just becomes so much work. It's not worth it for most people. Like uh, going to oxygen gym was a great lesson in this. So I spent, uh, some time in oxygen gym. Where's that at? Famous, uh, Kuwait. Okay. Kuwait. Yeah. Middle East, um, sort of like mu- Muslim, I guess, sort of culture. Uh, you know, the women are dressed up and wearing the robes and all Mm -hmm. that. And the men kind of dominate the society and there's no women in the gym. And so it's a place that people can really focus on lifting and eating and sleeping. And so they've built a pretty awesome bodybuilding program there. But 
it was so extreme that it kind of felt it, it took the fun out of it too. It's like force it, force feeding yourself food, force feeding yourself these supplements and then sleep and then train your ass off till you puke and then go do it again. And it took, kind of took all the fun out of it. So I, I see that you can get to some extreme elite levels by going to that length, but where along the way does it become like really not fun anymore? And so, yes, the, the steroids, boom, you get 20, you're going to get, everybody's going to get 20 pounds of muscle. That's awesome. And that's like the easy. And then all of a sudden it gets hard again. And I, it goes back to my theory that I think that most men have not finished puberty. I think that we didn't have high enough testosterone levels, mm. whether it was environmentally or because you had someone else on your show before talking about environmental estrogens, things like this, uh, testosterone levels dipping. And so when someone does a steroid cycle, it's like it matures their muscle cells. It's like you're finishing the puberty process and that's the 20 pounds of muscle. And then after that, it kind of comes back to the, not just the chemistry, but now it circles back to the hard work and the diet and the training also. If you can associate a percentage to steroids, um, what percentage would you devote towards that saying like in terms of, um, like for myself, I, I bench pressed, uh, 500 pounds, uh, at West side barbell before I ever took anything. It was a floor press, not a regular bench press. It was a touch and go. I lifted my butt up. Like there was, you know, it wasn't a clean, it wasn't like a competition press, but in comparison, uh, at the time I probably weighed like two, I probably weighed like maybe about 230, 225, 230. And, uh, you know, my best bench, uh, after was uh, 578, but in a much heavier weight class. So I always kind of share the story of, yes, steroids, they make you stronger. Uh, they can make you bigger and it makes getting bigger, stronger, leaner, easier. Uh, but the road is still really hard. And then once you already have possessed or gained some strength, uh, gaining more strength is, is still really difficult. So is there kind of like a percentage you can kind of associate to it or. If we looked at every person and the different variables that add up to what their total strength is, you know, for some people, it's going to be the chemistry. For some people, it's going to be the diet. For some people, it's going to be the lifting technique. So it's really, it's so individual basis. It's hard to answer in a general because we could line up 10 different people and find what each of their bottlenecks are. And I bet you as far as strength and power, it's usually not the chemistry that's their limiting factor. It's usually their their technique or uh, right. or their mind-muscle connection in the neural pathways, which steroids don't help that much. It's, I think they really don't do anything for your central nervous system necessarily. I think it's a big misconception. People think steroids equal strength. Um, kind of, they, they help remove some of the limiting factors. You can build more strength, but steroids are more of a muscle builder than uh, strength and power enhancer. What do steroids do? I hear everyone always talks about how they, they help with recovery. Do you feel that they help a lot with recovery? I think that they allow you to work out more frequently, allow you to work out harder and tear the muscle down and not have to be, because if you were going to do it perfectly in a scientific environment, you would break down the muscle just enough to create the stimulation to build more muscle. And a lot of people may even be training so hard that they're not fully recovering and the steroids can act like a crutch. All of a sudden, you don't have to worry on steroids so much. Am I recovered or not? You can overtrain, you can get away with it. But if you're training scientifically for strength, especially, and you know how long it takes your joints, tendons, ligaments, your uh, central nervous system to recover and you time it right, then 
you can actually make similar strength gains to someone who's using steroids as a, as a crutch. But that's for strength. I mean, there's no question in bodybuilding, you, there is no bodybuilding without steroids, but there is still powerlifting without steroids. And also just uh, weight gain. I mean, if you just gain weight, you'll gain strength. Like even, even if it's just body fat, like if you go from weighing, uh, you know, 200 to weighing 240, like that's a huge increase in your overall body weight. And it may not have like the kick that you want. And so it may not be wise to get unhealthy just in your pursuit of strength. Uh, but it may be wise to put on a little bit of weight, put on a little bit of padding, you know, as you're going into a competition. Ooh, well, actually Mark. So do you notice like a DECA or a, let's say a wet steroid, a steroid that causes water retention, intracellular pressure, you know, that kind of pump feeling, mm -hmm. even though you didn't even earn it, you just feel full and swole pump. Does that translate to strength? I would think that that internal pressure and sort of insulation and, and sort of like, even like just the muscle being bigger and tighter. And when you come down, it creates more of that rubber band effect. Is that yeah, if the people, if the people listening can just envision, uh, wearing two or three pairs of knee sleeves and elbow sleeves while they bench press and squat, um, that's kind of what you're talking about. You have, you have this, uh, this extra layer of like water, this extra layer. And you might not even look bloated. Like somebody still might be in shape. They don't have to really look puffy or look bloated. Uh, but they're just, they're holding on to a little bit more weight. They're holding on to a little bit more mass. Uh, for example, powerlifters don't usually use anti-estrogens. It's actually kind of rare. Like somebody may go to the doctor, they may get their blood work done and a doctor may say, Hey, you know, your estrogen is kind of, kind of creeping up. Most powerlifters still wouldn't take the doctor's recommendation until the contest was over because you kind of want some of that puffiness. You kind of want some of that estrogen floating around. Uh, estrogen can be, uh, can be actually pretty good for like your joints and stuff. Obviously if it's way out of whack, then uh, could be problematic, but yeah, as a power lifter, you want to be like puffy and people talk all the time about inflammation and I've been making posts lately and it's just, it's, it's stuff that I've never wanted to talk about be just because, uh, people just, they just misunderstand it so much and it's hard for me to put into words and I don't have any scientific evidence to really back any of this stuff up. And so people flip, flip their lid. But for years, I've been eating what I call bench bagels, and it's just bagels before I bench press. That's all it is. Um, but it's, it's not anything special about a bagel necessarily, but bagels don't have a lot of fat in them. And so I utilize them to kind of like carb up. And when I, like the other day, I had six bagels before I came in here and benched, and I smoked a 485-pound bench press. And I'm, I'm utilizing fasting, and I'm utilizing the carnivore diet. I'm utilizing these different things. I'm fasting myself away from, uh, some of these carbohydrates and some different things. And then when I take it back in, I end up with super compensation. I end up with my body sucks up and retains everything. So the bagels that I eat, they're actually salt bagels because the salt, the carbohydrates, and maybe even like, I'm not even sure, but maybe the gluten is part of it. Like maybe the inflammation and the swelling and stuff, maybe it's not all bad for you. I, I don't know. Like who's to say? No one really knows, but I know it's working really well for me. Mm, okay. That, yep. That you sounds be... like that intracellular pressure, yeah. for, especially from steroids and the conversion to estrogen. Yeah. It's going to cause some additional strength. And I've it. tried it with other stuff too. I've tried it with like rice and potatoes and stuff, and it just doesn't seem to have the same exact effect. And that could be, that could be placebo. That could be mental. You ever, especially <laughs> since you, when you do the fasting carnivore diet, when your body's low on carbs, <clears throat> you ever taken a super 
large amount of salt and see how much water you can hold and oh, how much yeah. strength that translates to. Oh, no, salt is huge. Significant, right? Salt is huge. I mean, I, I have salt by the gram. You know, I, I, I put salt in my water and I have salt in my food. And uh, Stan Efferding is, uh, is, is one of the guys who has uh, really kind of like researched it. And, and he's one of the guys who kind of came to us and, and told us. The interesting thing is Stan uh, did a powerlifting meet and uh, he almost ducked out of the powerlifting meet because he had such bad cramps. And I gave him a noon tablet at the time. I gave him a few of them. Me and uh, my buddy uh, Jesse Burdick were like, dude, you need, you need salt. You need potassium. You need, you need this, this stuff. And, and in a noon tablet, it has some of those things. Stan took it. He was going to go to the hospital. He was like, man, I'm really dehydrated. He had to make weight for that particular meet. He weighed in at 275 and he competed at like 290. And he wasn't feeling well. Anyway, he, you know, we give him these noon tablets. He charges back up and he pulls the 837 pound deadlift and, uh, the rest is history breaks the all time record in the weight class. And, and then, uh, for my magazine that I had called power magazine, he wrote an article for us and talked a lot about that. And then, but from that point, he was like, what was that? Like, what did that for me? And so he researched it a bunch and he came back to us and he was like, man, it's just a salt. That's all it really is. So, um, and especially people that are on a lower carbohydrate diet, people that aren't really consuming a lot of carbs, it's, uh, it's wise to at least experiment and look into, you know, adding a little bit of salt, see if it can help you with some strength gains. Yeah. When I drop out the carbs, I add salt and glycerol and then a lot of water. And that seems to allow me to hold on to the water better. Yeah. Glycerol is, uh, kind of old school. Yeah. I haven't really heard anybody talk about that. And you, you mentioned it earlier today as well. Um, I haven't heard anybody talk about glycerol in probably like a decade, but it was been used uh, for for years and years, and I think it's still used by um, like endurance athletes and stuff, right? So, yeah. So you were asking more about my background and what got me into this, and so the early stages of my pioneering human evolution. So glycerol is one of those things that I was experimenting with at age fifteen. <laughs> so I like way back, and I, I did my keto diet. I first did the keto diet when I was fourteen. So I was started experimenting heavily at age twelve with all these ways to become superhuman, whether it was diet, supplementation. I just didn't add the steroids in until age 30. And uh, glycerol, what does glycerol do for you? It holds water. So yeah, you're right. Endurance athletes take it because they, you know, they, they, they their risk of dehydration. They have have packets of it, right? And they squeeze it in their mouth and stuff, right? Yeah. So if you take about 10 grams of glycerol with a lot of water, then you can hold a lot more water in your body. because your body, especially when you get depleted of minerals, you start losing too much water and your body just cannot function without hydration. You get dehydrated and that's it. You're done. Whether it's bodybuilding, endurance, sports, performance, anything. Is glycerol an alcohol or something like that? Or is it its own weird thing? It's its own weird thing. It's a backbone of, of fat. So like one of the concerns people have is if I take in glycerol, am I giving my body more of the raw materials to build fat out of and store more fat? But I haven't, I haven't noticed that to be the case. I've never, I don't think I've ever gained fat from, from glycerol. And then glycerol is not illegal or anything. You just, you can just order that probably off of Amazon, right? Vegetable glycerin, liquid form. They also, the, the Hydromax form, the powder form mm. is in a lot of supplements these days. The only problem is they don't usually put a lot of it. They put a couple grams, which is okay. Everybody, every little bit helps. But really when you get around that 10 gram mark, that's when you feel the hydration from it. I would say it's probably almost 20 years ago that I had, that I tried glycerol. Cause I, I remember they had it at a, 
man, I can't remember the name of that place down in Venice. Uh, do you, well, you're not as old as I am, but, uh, do you remember there was a Metrex cafe in Venice? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm older. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, one of the supplement places down there, they had like all the old school supplements. They had like uh, phosphogems and HMB and all that stuff that came out from, uh, EAS back in the day. And, uh, glycerol was one of them. And it's something that I messed around with and tried. And I just never really, at that time, I just, I wasn't educated enough and I wasn't like experimenting enough to really notice or see, uh, any real, any real true difference with it. Um, but the supplement industry is really like the wild, wild West. Like you don't really know what you're getting all the time. And with what you do, uh, specifically, uh, with SARMs, um, is uh is different and you you're one of the first to kind of come to market with some of these products what are sarms so sarms are selective androgen receptor modulators so before sarms we had steroids and they're all based on the testosterone molecule and then we modify as time progresses and we our our knowledge evolves we modify the testosterone to become more anabolic more muscle building with less androgenic less side effects and then Eventually, we get away from the testosterone molecule completely and start creating synthetic compounds that fit in the androgen receptor in the, mu the muscle, which all it is is a switch. Flip a switch saying build muscle. That's what testosterone does in the muscle cell. So now we figured out how to flip that switch without being based on a testosterone molecule, just synthetic, so that it's more, it's created specifically for the muscle building, not all the different things that testosterone does in the body. Mm. And that's the future. I believe it's the future. I think steroids are going to become, or there's no reason to keep making more steroids based on the testosterone molecule. Now that we've discovered we can create synthetic compounds that are more tailored, <clears throat> narrowly tailored for exactly whatever purpose it is that we want. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, taking a bunch of testosterone that converts to estrogen, DHT, and does a whole bunch of other stuff in the body, we say, okay, if we want to build muscle, then let's design a compound that's specifically made for building muscle. And that's what SARMs are. Do you think other types of supplements might die if, uh, if SARMs uh, become more acceptable? Well, this is, I'll tell you what big pharma and the big supplement industry thinks is yes. And, and that's why they see it as such a risk. And that's why there's very little accurate information on the internet or in the world about SARMs because they don't want us to know about it because it could be the complete end of the entire supplement industry. I mean, nobody's going to go out and buy BCAAs and spend hundreds of dollars per month if they can spend $50 a month and build way more muscle than they ever could build with all the mainstream supplements. They save yeah, a lot of money with very little side effects. And it's, and that's definitely information they don't want out. So, so we're, what in sources of information do we have on SARMs? I mean, we have the companies that make the SARMs are not reinvesting much of that money into promoting the SARMs. Really. You've just got the people who are brave enough to admit that they're taking something performance enhancing as the anecdotal evidence. And even them, they don't know whether they're getting pure SARMs, the right SARM. You know, we don't know whether to trust these people because they're writing on forums. We don't know who they are. So that's kind of what I brought to the table as I went on video and I started experimenting on myself and others and teaching people about SARMs and the truth about SARMs with no bias one way or the other, all the good, bad, and ugly about SARMs. And I think that's really the first time that it has ever been done and sort of reached the mainstream. And that's one of the things that brought me a lot of attention. Um, how many different types of SARMs are there? 
Well, there could be unlimited because we could just, it's a class of compounds. We could just keep creating different variations and there someday could be thousands. But right now there's probably about five that are very popular because the they're, they're, they can be, they're affordable. And then there's probably about 15 others that may come to be affordable in the near future that have already been invented, but they aren't popular because they, well, they don't have a lot of scientific data behind them. So, and we already have five SARMs that work so well, not a lot of people want to go pay 10 times the price to experiment mm. with one of these other new compounds until there's a little bit more data on them. Does it kind of piss you off that, uh, that this stuff's being hidden and it could really help some people? It does because the foundation of everything that I do is truth, honesty, freedom, and then being able to be better, evolve ourselves, pioneer our own human evolution, be who we want to be. And in order to have all of the accurate information, we need true information and it's really hard to get. You can't make a decision that's best for you unless you have accurate facts to base it on. And so what we have in the media online, YouTube, everything, Facebook, Instagram is a bunch of lies. So people can't make their own decisions. So they're not really free. They're making decisions that other people are trying to influence them. For example, big pharma is trying to scare people away from anything that competes with their pharmaceutical drugs. The big supplement industry is actually a pretty strong lobby is trying to scare people away from all these compounds that are way more effective and safer, but compete with their products that they're selling. So I believe in truth and freedom and responsibility. People should have the information and access to these things, the ability to use them and experiment on them. And instead, I feel like it's, it's like the Renaissance, it's like the dark ages before the Renaissance right now. And I feel like we could go either way. It could go worse into the dark ages where we're suppressing even more information. Like right now, I can't even do a post on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube telling the truth about any of these things because they'll get censored mm. by... World Anti-Doping Association, Big Pharma, and the big supplement industry. And also the, I call them feminazis, but also enemy, enemies of freedom out there right. who are basically the Nazi soldiers of these, uh, these special interest groups. Because these special interest groups will pump false information out to the public, hoping that the, these type of, it's unique to America, the type of people out there, these internet trolls that just perpetuate false information. It's actually not that common in the rest of the world, but in America, this is a very powerful driving force. So these, these, uh, organizations know that they put the false information, they let people run with it. And before you know it, 90% of the information about SARMs on the internet is false and trying to get the true information out is difficult because they're actively working to censor people like me. What's the, what's the worst information that you've seen out there? Like what's the most misunderstood thing about SARMs? Well, the stupidest thing is the, the underground steroid world is also pushing really hard to get rid of SARMs. So how crazy is this, right? You'd think the underground steroid world would be the most open-minded, but the underground steroid world is worried that if people find out how effective SARMs are, no one's ever going to use steroids again. And they make money based on the risk. Being in the underground steroid world is extremely profitable, but it's also very high risk, and that's why it's profitable. So you start bringing in things like SARMs, which is like a gray area, and and now they can't really make as much profit. I mean, I know specifically st underground steroid organizations that are paying people to go online and post negative things about SARMs. Mm -hmm. 
so that people will buy their steroids. So, Are SARMs similar to peptides or are those different things? Um, they both act like hormones. They're both things that switch, flip switches in our DNA to modify our bodies for whatever, <laughs> hopefully for the better, uh, if you can use carefully. Uh, but peptides are usually uh, proteins that are lyophilized in a dry powder in a small vial and you reconstitute it with water and you inject it because a peptide is is a series of proteins connected together that act like a hormone and the digestive system will break those down just like a protein. It'll turn it into amino acids. So for those, you've got to inject them. The SARMs are a totally synthetic compound that the body has no intent of breaking down in the digestive system because it's not a nutrient. And so those are taken usually orally, although they are more bioavailable injected, which is very rare. People rarely inject them. They take them orally because they work fine and they're not liver toxic generally. But that's the difference is the peptides are the little hormone vials, a little powder, and the SARMs are usually in a capsule or a liquid form taken orally. What about the, uh, the argument? Because whenever the conversation comes up of like, oh, steroids or SARMs or whatever, it's like, well, if you're going to take something uh, for, you know, performance enhancing and it has side effects, you might as well go with steroids because it's, uh, it's like, it's got a bigger track record than SARMs. Like how long has there been, I mean, like how long have SARMs been around? Like, is there any research on them or anything like that? Good point. There is more research on steroids Mm -hmm. or more anecdotal reports on steroids than there are on SARMs. And the anecdotal reports on steroids are probably more accurate because they, we have so much data to pull from. Um, but <laughs> there's not a lot of real research on steroids anyway, like in terms yeah. of, there's not, there's not like, there's not research in terms of, uh, like, Hey, we're going to put Mark and Tony on, you know, we're going to put him on 300 milligrams of testosterone. We're going to put Mark on 300 milligrams of trend and like see who gets uh, stronger, faster or something like that. They don't, no one's ever done any studies like that. It's unethical because of the classification of where steroids are. So the only thing that we have from steroids are, is anecdotal evidence. And then also some research uh, on the medical level where uh, they've done some, you know, research in terms of like muscle wasting on somebody who's like 70 years old, who might have a disease or something like that. So when I first started, because most of, I try to relate mostly information from my own experiments and then secondarily information that I learned from other people's experiments that I supervise or, or help with. So for, for my own purposes, I was thinking health is top priority. Longevity is top priority. But I also want to have a physique. He wants a, to be jacked. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be jacked, <laughs> but healthy too. So I know I'm going to have to, if I want to make progress, I know I'm going to have to chemically enhance myself. So the initial experiment for me was, can I use SARMs in conjunction with other healthy supplements and get equal to steroid results? And the conclusion was yes. Yes. SARMs at the correct dosage and the correct combination with other things that work synergistically work with them, uh, replaced all of the benefits of steroids with virtually no side effects for me. Uh, now there's always, anytime you take anything anabolic, it seems to mess with our cholesterol a little bit, things like that. But the side effects were so insignificant from SARMs that we're talking, uh, eating a hamburger would have, not because of the beef, we love beef, right? But because of the bread, the high fructose corn syrup ketchup, the sheer amount of calories, the combination of the saturated fat with the insulin spike, things like this. Uh, the hamburgers 
way more side effects than the SARMs. So we had to keep it relative. So my priority was was health, longevity, and being jacked. SARMs were the solution, and that's where my experiments led me. Now, steroids can also be used intelligently and with very little side effects as well. And you can use steroids like Anivar and Primabolin and have virtually no side effects. It, not quite as much gains, but if you use it properly. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> everyone just got super excited. They're like, Prima Bolin, they wrote it down. Yeah, it's, everyone did. The only steroid that anybody knows is Tren. That's, oh, that's yeah. the one everyone always Tren uh, and Anivar. Yeah, Tren and Anivar, yeah. yeah. Um, you said that there, there was like no side effects. Is that no side effects in comparison to running a cycle of steroids or just in general, like being off of everything? Oh, and then it depends on how we define side effects. Mm -hmm. I mean, the thing is one person could have no side effects from steroids or SARMs and another person could have a lot of side effects. We, we all seem to react as humans very similarly and with some things and in other things we act very differently. And when it comes to anabolics, it seems like we run, we react pretty differently. So, uh, that's hard to generally, I can say for me mm -hmm. and for most of the people I've worked with, we've experienced very little side effects. In fact, I don't even know if I'd call them side effects more than I'd call them effects. Yeah. I was just <laughs> going to say there's effects and there's side effects. I mean, the effect of steroids for Arnold Schwarzenegger made him one of the most successful mm -hmm. people this world's ever seen. Uh, side effects, you know, he's had some heart disease. He's in his seventies, right? I mean, uh, we're all going to die from something and maybe steroids do speed up your death, but maybe they can enhance your life a little mm -hmm. bit. I, you know, I don't know. Like who's, I, I just don't think it's really for anybody to really say, you know, obviously there's going to be negative side effects. Um, but what people do on a daily basis, uh, they're harming themselves way further than, yeah. than, than a lot of these other things. And I don't want to be judgmental towards that either. But just uh, making poor food choices, not getting enough sleep, um, drugs, I mean, alcohol is so acceptable. You know, you got somebody drinking a Coke telling you that uh, you're a piece of shit because you're taking steroids, you know? And it's like, man, okay, let's just, let's, just, let's just back this up a little bit and let's say you drink your Coke, let me take what I want to take and we'll go our separate ways and we don't need to really agree on anything, but... Uh, there's really no reason to start, you start throwing stones and you can start throwing stones at anything. And I think what you said just a few moments ago, doesn't get talked about enough. You said, you know, the hamburger and you're like, it's not just the hamburger. It's not just the meat. And then what you finished with was it was the overconsumption. Bam, done, period, end of sentence, the overconsumption of anything, the overconsumption of food. The overconsumption of, let's just say that we all feel that broccoli's healthy or spinach, or we all agree upon something, an apple, chicken breast, like we, we agree on something, right? Well, if you ate 40 pounds of chicken breast, <laughs> I'm sure there'd be some repercussions to that, right? And so the overdosing on anything can be really harmful. Um, and I do think that, look, it would be great if we had more of this stuff out in the public. But if everyone's going to be so negative about it, then how are we going to really ever uh, be able to move forward and be able to learn more about it? I, I want to relate it, the yeah. SARMs and steroids to food with one more example, is that um, food, uh, like a hamburger or something, bad food, let's just say, really overgeneralizing, too much of a, of a mm -hmm. food that can have side effects, has a lot of negatives but no benefits. 
right? There's there's no benefits to eating uh, a, pi- a piece of pizza or a hamburger or drinking a soda. Tastes good. <laughs> yeah, there we go. The temporary <laughs> pleasure. Um, but there is side effects. Well, SARMs and steroids have, let's say, equal side effects to some of these type of foods, but they also have tremendous benefits. So to keep it relative and in context, we got to look at what is the benefit versus the risk. So with SARMs, when you say is there side effects of, yes, there's side effects of everything. The side effects are so small, but the benefits are so massive that I'm going to make a really bold statement and say that 90% of Americans would benefit their quality of life, health, and longevity by being on SARMs. And the other 10% is because some people have predispositions mm-hmm. to, to things that just like anything else, like a food allergy, for example. And uh, quality of life is, uh, that word's just thrown around, but not really looked at and examined quite enough because when we start to think of pulling the fun out of uh, our lifting, right? Like, so for us, we love lifting. And so SARMs, anabolic steroids, like a lot of these, and, and even uh, any form of performance enhancing drugs, it ma- makes a lot of sense to us. We're like, okay, well, that's going to enhance what I'm doing. I might as well give it a shot. I was like, give it a try. And hopefully I'm not putting myself uh, too much in harm's way. But if you can look at it from this perspective, it's not really any different than being at a party and passing around a joint. Not any different than being at a party and having a couple drinks of, of alcohol. You're like, you're not, you're not drinking alcohol and you're like, I really, I, I desperately want to damage my liver. Uh, I, I want to take in this smoke into my lungs and I want to get really high from it. And I, and I hope that it really jacks me up. No, you're thinking like, this is a great release. I'm with some friends. I'm going to enjoy maybe some junk food. I'm going to enjoy some, like, this is your form of entertainment to have, uh, some alcohol. Some people choose to just meet somebody for some coffee. Some people choose to, uh, go out to a concert and, uh, do all kinds of crazy recreational drugs that, that we would think are crazy, but that's their version. That's their version of fun. And like, I don't want to like, uh, I don't want to like overdo some of these statements, but cocaine, LSD, marijuana, I mean, any of these things, heroin, they all have effect and they all have a side effect. And, uh, it just depends on how they piece together, how they fit into your lifestyle. And when it comes to something like, uh, something like caffeine, caffeine is something that you'll drink and bam, you like feel it right away. And you feel like, you know, you feel like you can run through a wall sometimes. Sometimes that caffeine hits you really hard. Yeah, there you go. I'm drinking my pre-workout caffeine drink here. (laughs) Or something like Kratom. It can kind of hit you pretty hard, some of these things. But, uh, you know, protein, not really going to like feel protein. Mm -hmm. And you don't inject steroids and then like run off to the gym and lift like a lunatic. You don't? (laughs) This whole time. I know. And that's, that's been portrayed in films though before, like the movie, The Program. Yeah. Uh, what's the Andrew Bernarski is the uh, actor, uh, Latimer, his name is in the movie <laughs> starting defense place at the table. And he rams his head through the glass and he's going nuts. Uh, and he, and he kicks the weight and he just takes, you know, he takes a shot of something and he's doing some like concentration curls and stuff. He's like, no problem. And then he makes the team all of a sudden. Right. And so th- that's some of the stuff that's been portrayed. That's some of the stuff that we've seen, but 
Tony, what's been your experience in terms of SARMs? I mean, they're, they're not, I, I understand they can kind of jump on you quick, especially because of the nature of them and because they're oral. Here we go. <laughs> he just, he just injected. He's like, yeah, yeah, bam. yeah. Yeah. And he goes nuts, <laughs> but they don't like jump on you and make you into a, like a lunatic out of nowhere. Right? No, the ster- some steroids have mental effects to them, like trenbolone, methyltren, halotestin, check drops, uh, testosterone, deepol. Uh, the first ones that I mentioned have make you much more aggressive. So when we hear roid rage, we're actually thinking about only a few out of the 50 steroids. We're only talking about, you know, three that cause roid rage one being common and the other one being uncommon. And then we have other steroids that just give you a better sense of well-being, D-ball and testosterone, for example. They just make you feel good. There's no roid rage usually involved. Well, SARMs are generally give you that good feeling, that feeling of sense of well-being similar to testosterone. They seem to have that effect in general. But then we take a couple, like, especially rad 140 i think of that as sort of the powerlifting sarm the strength building the intensity sarm something that you can take pre workout and the mental effects seem to come in quicker than the physical effects so something like the rad 140 or a trenbolone trend let's say trend suspension cuz it's faster acting it's got no ester see these sarms have no ester attached so steroids oftentimes is the steroid plus an ester which causes it to be time released and slower so you don't necessarily feel it hit so hard but you can actually take steroids without the ester so it hits immediately and then you would feel it a lot more. They have more. like testosterone suspension and things like that that are water-based and they could hit you a lot quicker, right? Yeah. So the SARMs are actually no ester. They're actually like a suspension. They hit you immediately. So they, they're faster acting than most steroids are generally uh, speaking, the most injectable steroids generally. And so the RAD140 is one where you feel sort of that mental aggression, but it's not a, it's not like a violent aggression. It's like a, maybe a little bit shorter fuse, but more like mental energy, more like you're on top of your game. So the opposite, like you could wake up, actually, I was thinking for depression, RAD140 may be a, a, ser- a, a major cure because I've felt depressed before. You wake up and you're like, I just don't want to do anything. And I testosterone treatment, you know, testosterone treatment a lot of times is, uh, they utilize that a lot for depression. Yes. I have so many fans, followers, supporters, whatever, that um, have been cured from uh, thoughts of suicide and major depression and just throwing their whole life away. And it's low testosterone is the cause. And this is, this is an epidemic. So uh, something short of a testosterone therapy to give someone that mental energy, to feel like a man, like you want to accomplish something that day that you want to get up and do something instead of lay in bed. Rad 140 seems to give that type of effect and it's pretty instant. What are, uh, what are some other SARMs that are, uh, that are effective? So you mentioned Rad 140 and then, uh, that one seems to be good for aggression and also, uh, what is it help with muscle size and stuff too? Strength? I never gained a lot of muscle size on Rad 140. I noticed looking drier and more dense and harder, almost like a master. If we're comparing it to a steroid, like a masterone, provirin, almost a trenbolone type effect. I never gained much muscle on trenbolone. I tighten this up. This conversation is so meathead that I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, cause, cause of what he's comparing it to is so, it's so, uh, it's so funny. Yeah, that's what makes Tony Huge great, though. Like, who, who the hell else can we have in here that's going to be able to compare the two, right? And so this is this is what's hard about this. I don't know who the audience is, right? There's these thousands of people out there, and I'm trying to talk to, I'm trying to say things that I think people can relate to, 
who would be listening to this so they can compare it. Yeah. But if I if I had one individual and I know that they're natty and they haven't heard a Trenbolone before, then I know I have to describe it differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming yeah. that a lot some of the audience knows Trenbolone so I can relate it to it. Like so <coughs> in your opinion, uh let's okay, let's let's say I've been working out for 5 years and uh maybe even say like, you know, I had 2 or 3 years where I was kind of messing around. Now the last 5 years I've been consistent. I've been paying attention uh, I'm on Stan Efferding's vertical diet. I've been paying attention to what's going on in the world. I understand the keto diet. I understand these different nutritional aspects. Uh, I've been doing my cardio. I've been really putting in a lot of time and I, I just, I want some faster results. Where would someone start with a SARM? Like what is the, uh, what is, what is going to have the least, uh, negative effect on our body with the most positive return? Everybody usually starts with Osterine by default because so many people have run it with virtually no side effects and having good results as far as muscle gain and strength increase. The trouble with Osterine is I think that's going to largely stop because the company that invented Osterine is trying to get it off the market. Mm. And I have conspiracy theory as to why, but you're going to see a lot less Osterine as the government starts prosecuting. The government is acting like the henchmen for the drug companies, mm. really. And so they're going to try to get Osterine off the market. Uh, but that was kind of the go-to beginner's SARM for, we know because of historical record, there's such little side effects with it. Um, but as that becomes less available, um, ligandrol is what I like really for bulking. And then, so one of the newer SARMs, the S23, uh, a lot of people are taking that with very little side effects other than natural testosterone production suppression as well, which is a risk of any of them, but all, also largely dosage and length of cycle dependent. When would be a case where you would tell somebody, look, just don't even, don't even mess with any of this stuff. Just, just train. Don't, don't worry about it. Would there ever be a scenario where you tell, like if somebody's like new, we just say, hey, you know, get it, get it, get three, five years under your belt and then come back and, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. Because if you jump in too early with any of these compounds, you can use it as a crutch. You know, it's, I always relate it to Adderall for me. I discovered Adderall in my last year of law school. And if. Wait a second. <laughs> Tony Huge went to law school. You can't have pipes like that and go to law school. That's illegal. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to find a suit that fits. That's, yeah. that's the illegal. You part. went to law school? <laughs> Yeah. So four years of law school and in the fourth year I started Adderall and all of a sudden I went from, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't, I'm so busy, always (laughs) so busy, so many businesses, so many philanthropic type things that I do that when, uh, when I'm in school, I'm cramming for the exam. It's like, I don't pay attention. That word up, Andrew. Which one? Uh, which one? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. I don't Thropic. <laughs> Is that with like P-H-I-L? It's not a type of steroid. No. It's <laughs> Oh. Well, why do oh, I need to look it up for it? I don't need to look that up. It's not Please. that exciting. <laughs> it means like giving back to society. Philanthropy, right? Yeah. Huh. Uh, so I discovered Adderall and it just game changer for me. But if I would have discovered it earlier, it might have been a crutch. So I discovered it at the right time, right at the last moment to make the bar exam super easy for me. I think I took, um, a painkiller one time. I don't remember what it was. I'm not big into any of that stuff, but I had a legitimate, uh, injury going on at the time. Uh, it may have been after I fell with a big squat and, uh, I took it and my mind was just like 
racing a million miles an hour and i've never felt like so focused in my life and uh i didn't have that many pills of it but i i took it for the next like two days and uh i took the rest of it and i i chucked it in the garbage i'm like that was awesome and that felt really good but that's a really dangerous spot for me to be in. I'm like, I'm going to end up relying on that shit. I know, I can't remember if it was uh Vicodin or maybe Oxycontin, mm. but man, it like, and, uh, I talked to my brother about it. My, my, uh, I talked to my brother about it and he was like, you know what, man? He's like, we have, uh, you know, we just have a long history of addiction in our family. And he's like, that's probably what some of that was. It's probably your, you know, your, your brain probably like enjoys that shit. And so he's like, it's good that you, you checked it out. So, um, so when we go, interesting. so when we go to these expos, for example, right, and we get to meet the fans, uh, and I'm talking to some of them right now, and I'm totally open about this. So, I, I meet some of you guys out there, and uh, you're on a lot of steroids, and you got you don't look like you lift. <laughs> you know, this is this is a common thing. There's it the the chemistry is not the bottleneck for everybody. So, some people are using it as a crutch. But some people are also very genetically disadvantaged also. So it's really a case-by-case basis. I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think if we're, <laughs> if we're born a man and we want to be a woman, we're born a woman, we want to be a man, all of a sudden, like, it's totally acceptable, this whole transgender thing. But it's also, like, not acceptable for a man to want to be a superman, like, to be even more masculine, right? right? And some of us are um, born with small frames, small muscles, low IGF, low HGH levels, low testosterone levels. And I don't see why it's, why it's fair or why I don't see why it's a problem, why we don't modify our genetics and become more. But at the same time, there's the risk of relying on it as a crutch. Like mm-hmm. what would have happened if I would have discovered Adderall earlier and all of a sudden, instead of developing my own mental faculties and my own, uh, mental skills and struggling through what I had to, then I might've always been dependent on that and relied on it and, and, and skipped a whole section of my own self-development. And this is kind of the risk with athletics. On the other hand, you look at these, uh, Olympic athletes at a young age. And if you don't hit that window of time and you don't, you know, start doing the splits at age six, like these Chinese Olympic athletes and stuff, then it's too late. So you don't want to miss oper- uh, windows of opportunity, but you also don't want to use a crutch that's going to make you a weaker person all around. So that's what I, I agree. Balancing. I agree a hundred percent with a lot of what you said. Um, you know, I think, you know, if somebody recognizes that they, uh, want to have like a sex change or something like that, they can go to the doctor and they can get medication for that. And only up until a few years ago, I mean, now you can go to the doctor and you can say, Hey, I, you know, I want to be bigger and I want to be stronger and they could put you on testosterone. You can have replacement therapy, um, even if you're not like really like low, they can kind of fudge the thing and, and, and still be totally within, uh, their medical practice, uh, with, uh, because the range is so wide, you know? Um, but yeah, it is, it is, uh, it is so interesting how it gets to be, all these things get to be, um, you know, so judgmental. One thing I've noticed with athletes that are natural, um, and I, a lot of times this comes from like training age, I think, but a lot of times younger athletes and, and newer lifters, uh, they will really overtrain almost more, uh, almost more so than somebody who's enhanced. Uh, and part of the, part of the reason for that. And part of what I've seen is just kind of going back to that 
training age, uh, inexperienced, just haven't been around uh, as much. So somebody, you know, they, they kind of have this idea that steroids or SARMs or they're going to help with recovery. And they do. They definitely help with like protein synthesis and some of these different things. Um, but it's not like guys that take stuff aren't sore anymore. Um, and I'm not saying guys that take stuff are smarter than guys that don't, but their training age is usually higher. You mentioned that you started lifting at 12 and that you didn't take any, uh, performance enhancing drugs until you're about 30. So you had a, a time period of training. So now you mix this time period of, of training, knowledge, training age, uh, with performance enhancing drugs. Now we're really talking about something spectacular. You can go towards the body, the physique that you want. And so if you're a new, if you're newer to this game and you're still getting used to meal prep and you're still getting used to the amount of time it takes to lift and get strong, and you're still trying to figure these things out and you can't figure out why your shoulder always hurts and some of these things, just take your time. There's no reason to rush into any of this stuff. Um, uh, you know, I started at a young age. I started when I was 25 and, uh, I, I have no regrets about any of it. I've been on and off of them. Yeah. Many of you have seen bigger, stronger, faster. I said, I'll probably be on and off of them the rest of my life. And I, I pretty much, uh, I pretty much stand by that. I probably will be on and off of them rest, the rest of my life. Anything to add over there, Andrew? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're saying about leaning on stuff, uh, leaning on supplements as a, on a crutch or whatever, um, do you think it's easier to wean yourself off of SARMs as it is compared to injectables? The recovery time for your natural testosterone levels is usually much faster after a SARM cycle. Okay. So after a steroid cycle, we do a post-cycle therapy, PCT, to cleanse our body in a number of different ways, our heart, our liver, kidneys, whatever, but especially to regain our natural testosterone production so that we can not always be dependent on steroids. And then so we can also be fertile because it's through the process of making our own testosterone that we also get our fertility to be able to have children. So after a SARM cycle, we have suppressed our testosterone levels less usually than we would have during a steroid cycle. So it's usually a faster, easier recovery. Usually it just, it depends on the person. It depends on the dosage. It depends on the length of the cycle. Cool. And then the amount of cycles, let's say per year, they've about the same as you would normally with a normal steroid. Could for a, could nor do, a normal could do more thinking person. <laughs> yeah, because our test. If the goal is to maintain fertility, and because fertility comes back faster generally after a SARM cycle than a testosterone or a steroid cycle, I should say, then we can do more cycles more frequently with less breaks in between on SARMs usually. In fact, a lot of bodybuilders, a lot of steroid using bodybuilders are now using SARMs as a bridge between steroid cycles. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge debate on this both ways. Personally, I love the bridge. That's what I like that approach. That's what I do, I guess. I, I switch between steroids and, and SARMs and I believe in that. But a lot of people believe that you need to come off completely mm -hmm. in order to comp re reach homeostasis and fully recover your natural testosterone gotcha. levels. And when it comes to fertility, is the uh, the risk, is it just because the low test? Is that the only thing that's uh, kind of the driving factor behind that? Yeah, it's reduction in follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone uh, govern fertility, especially follicle-stimulating hormone, and those are what stimulate the natural testosterone production. So you're not you're you're lowering your natural testosterone by lowering LH and FSH, and that means you're also lowering fertility. Mm -hmm. Now, think about this though, because see, everybody's different. So Coach Trevor 
blasted steroids for a couple years and he's infertile for life. All right. So he says it's an anecdotal report. We don't know all the variables, but then you have me, I've been blasting steroids and SARMs and all kinds of experimental compounds for the last six years. And I'm still getting girls pregnant six years in. It's because your pull-up game is weak. (laughs) (laughs) You got to work on that. Yeah. (laughs) So the, yeah, the timing, got to work on that timing. (laughs) Yeah. But no, I actually intended, I wanted to have more children. And so like, I just try and to have it with the right people at the right time. And you know, and it is, it's probably harder. It's probably reduced my fertility a lot, but I'm still getting girls pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, testosterone, uh, can even be like a form of birth control, you know, but it, you know, it's not, you, I, you can't like bet on it for sure. But you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that I know, a lot of their girlfriends, they just don't, they don't take anything because the guy's been on stuff. Steroid cycles are actually a lot less common than they used to be. You used to hear people talk about it quite a bit and it's, it's very, it's still alive in bodybuilding, but it's completely dead in powerlifting. The only thing people do in powerlifting is they get on really crazy amounts of stuff and then they go on like lower amounts of stuff. It's kind of rare for somebody to really, uh, you know, truly kind of cycle off or, um, even in, even in powerlifting, I mean, it's really, it's like all they're doing is like adding in a bunch of stuff. So like, let's say a competition's coming up, somebody might take uh, testosterone and, uh, let's just say they take, I don't know, three shots a week. They take around 600 or 900 milligrams, somewhere in that range, depending on the, uh, how much is in each one. Um, and then all they'll do like to change anything is just take, they'll add in like DECA or they'll add in trend. It kind of depends on what weight class you want to compete in and all these different things. But really it's just like you, you add more and you add more and you add more adding in like orals and things like that. Um, I do think that the cycles are really important when you start to think about longevity, when you start to think about your heart and you start to think about your cholesterol. Um, and so these things that people were using and doing 20 years ago, they still make a lot of sense today. And I think that that has been lost, especially in the kind of Instagram, uh, instant gratification world that we're in now, where it's like, you're always on the clock. You're always, uh, you're always punched in and, and you gotta, you gotta do something cool on Instagram. Otherwise you're gonna start to lose followers. You'll, you'll start to feel that pressure. I think that's a general, a real concern for a lot of people. So they just stay ramped up all mm-hmm. the time. What are some of the benefits of coming off stuff that, that you uh, have noticed maybe uh, through some of your blood work and stuff like that? Well, blood thickness, I think is the biggest side effect that's understated and my blood gets really thick from steroids and anabolics, but the simple solution is donating blood. So for that specific side effect, it has nothing to do with coming off. I can just go donate because even if I come off, it's going to take my blood so long to not be so thick versus I just donate blood or do what's called therapeutic phlebotomy, which is just draining your blood. Like I do on video in my kitchen (laughs) that gets me banned on YouTube. (laughs) Uh, but I, I'm going to start regularly donating blood more instead of coming off. But, uh, so, so we talked about that being a healthy practice in general for men, uh, to, uh, to also help, uh, just get rid of, uh, iron. So a lot of, a lot of men just, uh, will have a high red blood cell count. I don't know all the information behind all this stuff. Um, and a lot of men will have thickening of, of their blood and it's, it's, it's something to look into. 
whether you're taking stuff or not. So then we've got uh, hair loss on the head and body hair growth. That's another side effect potential of steroids. And that's some a reason why some people might want to come off. But see, for that reason, I would just switch compounds to compounds that are not harsh on, on the hair. And, and I don't seem to lose hair from steroids anyways, but some people do. Right. So, so you go down this list of, of side effects and you see which side effects are we really preventing by coming off. And it's mainly the resensitization so that the steroids are more effective for the next cycle. So we don't just keep desensitizing, but there's other ways to approach that besides coming off. And then it's also the natural testosterone production. Those are the two main reasons. Uh, cholesterol also, but that's something that you can get a blood test and see if your cholesterol's off, then you can decide at that time, am I going to come off and get my cholesterol back in check? Am I going to modify my cycle to be less harsh on my test, uh, my, on my cholesterol, for example, I'm going to let my estrogen increase. Am I going to lower the androgenic steroids and increase the anabolic steroids and adjust the cycle? So I don't, most people just say time on equals time off and that's the healthy approach. But I look at it more specifically on a case by case basis. And for me and my choice, and remember health is a big concern for me, but also the experiments and the knowledge and then learning and teaching other people is, is even more important than my other, my own health. But for me, I, I don't come off. I just, if I, if I reach a side effect, I change the cycle or I adapt it for that specific side effect. Cause I think a lot of people come off steroids thinking that they have to come off for health when really they're, they could have stayed on and, and been perfectly healthy or you know, they're, they're not isolating. What is it? The specific issue that we're worried about. And then how do we prevent that issue? They're just vaguely saying, Oh, got to reach homeostasis mm. again. I would say that, you know, being depressed is, is not a good frame of mind to be. It's not a good place to be. And so, uh, for people that have used stuff before, they know what I'm talking about. When you come off, you know, a lot of times I've heard people talk about like roid rage and all these crazy side effects of steroids. And I never really had, uh, a lot of these side effects i've never really noticed some of these side effects hair growth like on my back and my chest like i didn't used to have much hair but i haven't really noticed uh i haven't really noticed much of of any of anything else i would say i guess uh water retention might be another one now that i'm kind of running through the list of different things that could happen um but it's you know it's it's wise to like switch things up here and there but at the same time if you come off and you were to look, look, if, if you take steroids, you're not permanently enhanced forever. That's my belief. I don't know what some of your thoughts are on that, but, it, but if I was to stop them right now, three years from now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't be any stronger than I was when I was, uh, probably like 19 or something like that. Cause I've been training for so long that I reached a pretty decent strength level then. And so they don't like, they don't sit around in your system forever. Uh, the other thing that I think too, is that you, you're going to have to make some adjustments, but if you just come off everything, then depression might seep in. And it's like, that's going to be way worse because now you're neglecting a side of you that you really, you really love. You love going to the gym. You love training and it might sound egotistical or narcissistic. You know, you love seeing the pump. You love feeling the pump. You love, you're used to the way that you normally look you're like shit, man, this feels really good. It's not any different than like getting hurt, you bust your ankle. You're out of the gym for a few weeks. And you start to get fat, you start to get flabby and you're not happy with yourself. And so these are all things to consider when you're thinking about your lifestyle and your health. Yeah. So blasting and cruising, right? That's when we go in a high dose cycle and then we drop down to just a cruise, maybe testosterone replacement therapy dose. 
And then that avoids the problem of having this rebound of our testosterone level dropping. Because when we go into a PCT post-cycle therapy after a steroid cycle, our natural testosterone levels are very low. And we're also trying to reduce our estrogen and we're trying to keep them in balance to stimulate our body to produce more testosterone again. And there's this period of time when we experience potentially, if we don't do the PCT absolutely perfectly, we experience all the symptoms of low testosterone, which the low, the symptoms of low testosterone are much worse for the body than the, than the symptoms of high testosterone. Right. So I like the idea of blasting and cruising. I like the idea of not coming off. And when I started, when I was age 30 steroids, the first time I said, I might be on steroids the rest of my life. Like I'm going to make this decision knowing that I may have to inject myself once a week for the rest of my life. And, and I'm, and I went in knowing that and, and planning on that because I knew that if I come off, if I cycle on and off, I'm going to have these periods of time where I lose muscle, gain fat, and I actually acne, the number one period of time in which bodybuilders or people on steroids gain acne is actually after the cycle, not while they're on the cycle. And that's what I forgot, failed to mention was that most of the side effects I've heard people talk about hit me, uh, when I came off stuff, mm-hmm. I knew, I never knew, I never knew any of that. I just heard people and I had, I had crazy like mood swings. I wasn't mad. I was just depressed. I was like sad almost, you know, and I was like, whoa, this is weird because I don't ever have any of that. So for me, uh, that was like really foreign to me. But what happens is your testosterone levels get elevated to a, a new level and then they eventually will dip down to a lower level than what your body's probably normally used to. And it's your body is trying to find homeostasis, trying to like balance everything out. And so that's some of the things that can some of the things that can happen, but I, I, I love the message that you're sharing because I, that's the same exact thing. When someone, some young kid comes up to me and asks me about them, um, I always try to be as open as I can. And I just say, look, man, it, it's a, it's a lifelong decision, you know? So you, you, you could potentially be, uh, attracted to this lifestyle for the rest of your life. And it's something to really consider. And look, a lot of, a lot of kids, a lot of these young kids are, they're living at home. And it's like, Hey, you know what? You got, you got to at the very least be on your own, you know, don't be bringing that stuff into mom and dad's house. They're going to kick your ass probably. So, you know, these are, um, these are great things to talk about. It's great things to be open about. So in the media, which is where we get all our information. When I say media, I mean, like all social media news, everything. You're allowed to say everything negative about steroids. But you're not allowed to say all the wonderful things about steroids or you get censored. So what I think is missing from our the YouTube balance, channel has been, has been censored before and yeah. my Instagram. Yeah. So what's, what's missing from the balance in order to have accurate information to make people's mm-hmm. own decisions, you need to hear one extreme view. You need to hear the other extreme view and everything in between and, and find out what resonates with you and pull information from each to make your own decision. But what we have is you're allowed to say, uh, you know, steroids kind of okay, bad, but you always have to say, oh, something bad about steroids. Otherwise you're going to get deleted immediately. And, and then, but you're allowed to say all these negative things, but nobody's allowed to go out and tell the truth about steroids. And the truth is, and, and this is how I saw kind of me fitting in, you know, I walk around with a syringe. I have hot women around me. I travel the world. I have a lifestyle that everybody wants and I use steroids. And this scares the media. This scares the, the organizations that, um, could lose a lot of money by people learning about how to enhance themselves. And that's why I get censored. 
but I saw my my place in in this truth fact finding and education to be the other extreme. Like, look, ster- I would like to I would like to go out in public and say steroids are the best thing that ever happened to me, and all the professional athletes that I work with, and all the bodybuilders, and everybody who's ever used steroids, it's the best thing that ever happened to them. And, and that's what that's what they say behind the scenes, but mm-hmm. they're not allowed to say that on a magazine or a newspaper right. or whatever, because all of a sudden censored and deleted and we're not giving people accurate information to pull from. So I, I might sometimes not necessarily exaggerate it, but I might, there's already plenty of people saying steroids are bad. Mm. Everybody's saying that. Uh, but there's nobody out there who has a voice who, who people will listen to that are telling the truth about what's happening behind the scenes, which is that we love steroids. We want our steroids. We want them legal. We want them available to everybody. But that's not that we're pushing them on everybody. We just want to tell the truth so that people can make their own decision. And you see that you see that at these trade shows. You go to the trade show and it's like no one really is talking about steroids necessarily, but like real recognize real, right? Like you you <laughs> see other people around that are jacked and everyone's so excited. Everyone's like, hey man, what's up? Like you see other people around that are you know, extraordinarily jacked. And we all kind of get the message. We get the hint that, uh, that every, every, everyone's enjoying the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, and the same bodybuilder that'll tell a kid, you know, cause you have to be careful with your audience too. tell a kid, don't do steroids. The same bodybuilder. And I'll be like, yeah, I feel pumped. And I feel anabolic. <laughs> What'd you take today? Oh, I shot some test suspension. It was me. Hey, can I get some of that? You know, that's, that's the real conversation that's happening behind the scenes. Do you think, uh, this, um, being carefree like this and kind of, uh, waving it around, uh, do you think that, do you think that this was made possible through you gaining financial freedom through other means? Like you were a practicing lawyer, uh, for a while, for quite some time, right? Yeah. So that exactly right. Because I'm I mean, not if you didn't trying have... to make money. Okay. Yeah. I need to clear up something because everybody listening to this is, oh, he, he's biased because he sells steroids or he sells storms. And the truth is, no, my motivation is truth and freedom. I don't, I actually don't make any money off all this stuff. All the money that was made by EA and everything with it that did was completely reinvested into furthering the science and the education on all of this stuff. I didn't make any profit and I don't intend to make any profit. I want to keep it that way. I don't want to bias. I want to be able to speak freely and this is my creative outlet and this is my contribution to society. Yeah. And then, uh, you, you gained a financial freedom through being an attorney. So, so what happens is most people who take steroids, they cannot talk about it because the people that are paying them are making money off of them selling other things. It's just athletics. Uh, you know, that's, what's funny is like the world anti-doping association, United States anti-doping association are obsessed with covering up the fact that professional athletes use (laughs) steroids. Right. So yeah, we see a little bust here and a little bust there. Athletes are always one step ahead of the testing. We're using compounds that they haven't figured out how to test yet for, and they will. And it's just a cat and a mouse, a shell game. Uh, but the truth is that nobody's using the supplements and the crap that everybody's trying to sell us to get the physique and the performance that they actually have. And yet we have to use these people as poster people to give people the impression that buying this other stuff that costs a lot of money is what gets us there. And so they can't talk freely because they'll lose their sponsorship. And it's just very, it's very clear. It's like if in a sponsorship agreement, it's like you have to not tell people you take steroids. 
you can't tell people about steroids and performance enhancing growth. You have to pretend that you use this protein powder and that's how you got your muscle. That's how it's been. That's how it always will be probably. And then the, that's why the main, main, mainstream are not listening to this. You know, this is the people who are a little bit smarter than the mainstream who are wanting to learn beyond what the mainstream information is offering them. And for those people, we can reach them. The people that are ready to learn, we can, we can teach them. And, and once it grows, but the problem is once it grows, once the knowledge starts growing to where it becomes a threat to the big supplement industry and big pharma, then they, we get attacked back and more censorship. The constant struggle and the war for freedom. Can they test for SARMs? Uh, and can they test for some of these peptides and stuff like that? Absolutely, yeah. Actually, the World Anti-Doping Association, United States Anti-Doping Association, all uh, bought all of the enhanced athlete products, for example, tested them, and and made test new tests to be able to test for all these compounds. Wow. And it's the science is getting so evolved that they can test for it so long after you took the supplement. Even the SARM as we saw with like Bones Jones, hours. he's got like picograms of uh <laughs> whatever to to run a ball, to run a ball, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, from he may not have even taken it 18 for months years. Or yeah. yeah, and it's still in his system. So there's they're able to test so it's it's harder and harder, but that just means that science has to always stay one step ahead of the enemies of freedom. <laughs> and I consider the World Anti-Doping Association but, an enemy of freedom. But in a in a theoretical world, somebody like yourself may perhaps be ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but you know what? What's this is why you know when I actually okay sports. <laughs> I appreciate the cinematography of the sports and yeah. the camera angles, and they do a really great job with all that. But sports in general piss me off because sports are an outlet for sales and to make money from a lot of these big organizations. 100%. Yeah. And they are pumping a lot of money into censoring us and getting rid of the information for people to be able to pioneer their own human evolution. So here, SARMs, for example, are, have so many health benefits, so many performance benefits. Like if, if before SARMs were created, if you told me uh, we could invent a steroid that has all the benefits of steroids with none of the side effects, and I'm not saying that SARMs have no side effects, but just if we get closer to that, then would everybody in America take it? Yeah, they probably, I mean, they would. I mean, it's like exercise in a bottle, of course. But this freaks out the World Anti-Doping Association, the Anti-Doping Association, all the sports and athletics, because they have to keep this false image that nobody uses performance-enhancing drugs so they can sell Wheaties and T-shirts and protein powders and supplements and Fitbits and things like this that make a lot of money, a lot of profit. So what I don't like is these organizations killing our evolution, preventing our evolution censoring us and preventing science from improving our quality of life and curing diseases just so that we can have this sporting distraction that's selling us crap we don't need. That's what's frustrating. To me, it's, it's an anti-freedom. It's part, the whole sports thing is part of an anti-freedom propaganda. I think that, um, everyone is on something, you know, uh, whether it's a pharmaceutical, whether it's caffeine, whether it's, uh, you know, they smoke cigarettes or alcohol. It can be anything, but like most people are, are relying on something. So again, I think that, uh, you know, we, we tend to want to throw stones, but we're throwing them from a glass house type of thing. You end up with those uh, types of scenarios. It's like, Hey, look, all these things are performance enhancing. 
alcohol is, is performance enhancing. Like, because you cannot cope with your normal day the way that you normally would want to, or you don't know how to be socially interactive. And so you take a performance enhancing drug called alcohol. <laughs> I enjoy alcohol. I'm not beat, not trying to beat anybody up, but I'm just pointing out the obvious. Um, you, you take nicotine or you take something, you're trying to get the effect. And that's all that we're trying to do here. We're just trying to get the effect. We like to build muscle. We like to get strong. And so we're looking for the effect. Gaining muscle and staying lean and being strong is a combination of things that's very hard to work for. And you can do it. Uh, you certainly can. And, and you, you don't need to necessarily have one drug in your system. But man, it really takes a lot of fun out of your life because the discipline, uh, the discipline that's necessary. Now, that also can't really be said about everyone because we have uh, uh, an uneven, um, an uneven genetic potential. So there's some people that could say, hey, man, I never touched anything and they could be 240 pounds and they can look great and they could maybe they eat pizza and maybe but that's maybe not you. And so what I've always said is, you know, Barry Bonds is like a third generation baseball player. Like, what if I want to play baseball? My dad's a, a tax accountant and he's, uh, you know, five feet tall if he's lucky on a good day, right? With bum hips and, and, and a bum knee. So it's like, uh, you know, if I want to play and I, and I know Barry Bonds this is maybe not the best example because of all the scrutiny that he's uh, went through, but you kind of get my point. Like, I, you know, I don't have uh, a pedigree, you know, if you will, of, of people ahead of me that have kind of done something similar that have that kind of genetic potential. And so for, and I think that I have uh, decent genetics because when I started lifting, when I was young, I was a little stronger than my friends and stuff like that. But man, even, even with the performance enhancement, this has been a crazy ass ride. And these guys, these men and women that work here at Slingshot and the people that have uh, interacted with me, uh, Christian Guzman, who's I think 23 years old, he just came out here. He has a really successful company in the fitness industry. And he and I lifted. He's like, how long are we going to go for, man? <laughs> and we lifted for uh, probably like an hour and a half, which is kind of a short session for me because mm -hmm. I, I take my time a lot of times. We came in here. We podcasted. We filmed a lot of videos. He's like, man, I'm dying. He's like, I've been on my feet all day. It's like, I do this every day. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're all trying to push forward. We're all, we all want to just be better than we were yesterday. And that's all it's really about, right? Yeah, the way you say things changes my perspective. Give me some other ideas how to explain things as well. Uh, you're saying how you could be a rock star in something if you're super disciplined at it, but then it, at the expense of other parts of your life. So that's what happened to me at age 30. I'm like, I can look awesome. Without steroids, I can look awesome. A lot of people will still look back at my pictures and said, why'd you even start still getting steroids? You looked like you were on steroids before you even took steroids. Yeah, because you're looking at the pictures of me when I was disciplined, where I'm dieting and I'm training and I'm taking up so much mental energy and being a lawyer at the same time, and it's exhausting. Like, I want a shortcut so that I can have that peak physical condition in a lot less work, and then I can shift my attention to something. It's not like I'm going to be lazy and like, okay, now I got the physique. Now I'm going to just use that time to watch TV. I'm going to use that time to work on myself spiritually and mentally. So I'm just going to give you an example of like three compounds and three different areas of life where we can take shortcuts and be a rock star at all three. So spiritually, uh, I believe that psychedelics are a shortcut to spiritual enlightenment.
So a monk could spend 10 years of his life in a monastery studying spiritualism and meditating. And you can get to that level by hitting a couple doses of psychedelics and have some out-of-body experiences that that rival those that have been living in a monastery their whole life. Okay, so I can be a spiritual rock star. All right, now mental. Okay, we use something like nootropics or Adderall. Now I can be a mental rock star. Now I can read three times the speed, learn three times as much. My brain works quicker and I have better memory. All right, now let's move on to physical. Okay, and I'm going to use steroids. Now I'm going to be a physical rock star. So now all of a sudden, with the same amount of discipline and energy, instead of being a rock star in one category, we can be a rock star in every element of our life by using these chemical shortcuts. I believe we should have that right. I want to evolve myself. I don't want to rely on natural selection and trial and error. Uh, I want to chemically enhance myself and live a higher quality of life. And then I want to teach other people how to do it and also have a better quality of life. What are your thoughts on, obviously it sounds like you think that this should be, you know, across the board, just legal and you take what you want to take and I take what I want to take. But what is your take on, you know, it's not that way. And so what is your take on like things being fair? Like, uh, you know, uh, the Super Bowl happened yesterday and, and the Patriots won. And let's just say the Patriots are, let's say, let's say most of them are on steroids and let's say most of the Rams aren't or whatever, or, you know, or even for argument's sake to say the Patriots are on them and the Rams aren't on them at all. Like, do you think that poses any sort of problem or, or what are some of your thoughts when it comes to sports? Cause I think that's where some people have concern because like you mentioned, sports are a cash cow here in the United States. And, uh, so much is poured into all that, that if, that if we're in an MMA competition and you're on stuff and I'm not, and I get my ass whooped, then I, then I got, I got major problems with, with the outcome. What are some of your thoughts on that? Well, on the bird's eye view, it's part of the game. So steroids are part of sports and your ability to hide them and hide the fact that you're using them is like part of the strategy of the game. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you use the athletes, use the steroids and if they get caught, then they lose, you know, it's, it's just like any, it's just like anything else. It's part, it's actually part of the game. I believe there's been, uh, events in track. There's been races where they were like, okay, you're disqualified because you tested positive. And then I'm second place. And they're like, you're out too. <laughs> and then they look at Andrew and Andrew was third and like, mm, you're tested positive too. And they gave like a gold medal to like the fifth place person. <laughs> like they almost had to go to the next heat, you know, Damn. there's been situations <laughs> like that. Uh, there's been weird situations like that, which is just, uh, it's just amazing. You know, what's funny though, like for the, like I can take the bar exam on Adderall and that's totally fine. Right. But I can't go compete in sports with steroids. Uh, it's just, it's just funny the, 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 how people are so ant. it's very specific. Like people yeah. are very anti physical performance enhancement and then mental performance enhancement, uh, is also, they don't want us to be superhuman mentally, but it's less of a priority because it's less intimidating. It makes people less jealous. There's actually a, a lot of the motivation have for how ridiculous it sounds is jealousy in these organizations and people that want to work for these type of organizations that want to suppress our physical abilities, there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of motivation is to keep the rest of us down. So they don't have to feel as bad about their physiques. And you, and you look at, you know, the people that will complain and, and some of the arguments they'll say, well, what about our children? You know, well, this is a bad example for our children. These guys are cheating. You know, these guys are on drugs. 
And meanwhile, the person's, you know, sitting there with a beer in their hand, you mm-hmm. know, and, it, and it, you know, again, like we're not trying to say that drinking beer is bad. Uh, we're just saying, Hey, look, these are kind of all different versions of the same thing. You're trying to enjoy yourself. We're lifting weights. We're trying to enjoy ourselves. People that want to run faster, they're trying to enjoy themselves. People that want to jump higher, they're trying to like, it's a form of, uh, self-expression. It's a form of, it's a way of showing that you improved on something, which is part of it's, it's part of, uh, being a human being. I think that this has kind of fallen to the wayside of, of our society. This idea of like, things shouldn't be hard, you know, things shouldn't be rigorous, but they should be, things should be tough. Things should be difficult. And even when you take a SARM or you take a steroid, yeah, it might, it might fast track you somewhere, but it's not going to do anything unless you're kind of actively, uh, pursuing all the things that you still, all your thoughts, all, everything still needs to align with your actions and your actions will get you towards your goals. It's still the same recipe. It's still the same map, but now you have something that might direct you there quicker. What you mentioned, uh, some of these things being shortcuts and something I share on this podcast and, and I've demonstrated this in seminars and stuff too, is, uh, you know, not cutting corners, you know, how important it is, how, how a lot of times great people why they do understand, you know, time is almost everything. We got to, you know, be quick and, and efficient with everything. Um, but it's important to not only go around all the corners, but it's important to maybe even, you know, lean into the resistance of life and, and go, you know, deeper and go wider and, and do, uh, do more than what's expected of you. So what are your thoughts on that in relation to you mentioning that these things are shortcuts? Well, the greatest athletes are going to be ones that have genetics and hard work and the chemistry. And so, you know, where do you want to land? Where do you want to land? What's your potential? Because if you don't have the hard work and you don't have the genetics, but you just do use the chemistry, how far are you really going to go? And then are you, and then are you going to be disappointed in yourself at the end? Because like for the same reason I had a big ego about not taking st- I was okay. I be- always believed in freedom. Well, to an extent, I was so anti-marijuana, I thought that everybody who did marijuana should be executed. <laughs> Just to show you how different it is, because now I use it. So I, I've, yeah. cha- I've changed a lot myself, too. But generally speaking, I've always been a proponent of freedom. My brother, who you've met and you've been on his podcast, I think, as well, um, he used to have a, a lifting belt that said, uh, steroids suck. He's the director of Bigger, Stronger, Faster. <laughs> so so, so before age 30, I was very anti-drug, like especially recreational drug. And I was anti-steroids for myself, but I didn't feel like other people shouldn't have access to it. And so I always knew it was there. I was knew it was a shortcut, but I had an ego about it. I said to myself, if I can outlift the guys that are on steroids and I'm not on steroids, how much more awesome am I? But see, that's not a, that's not a positive way to look at it. It really... It was a negative view. It was an, and it was an ego problem. And I, I think a lot of people have that same problem. And that's a fundamental issue is it's all, it's all about the ego. And when you rely on something as a crutch and it, the ego comes involved, then you can have some negative repercussions to that. So what's better is to build yourself up as a person and as a strong person and struggle and then add the icing on top of the cake. I, I do agree with that. Even though I say that this should be available to everybody. I believe most drugs should be legalized. There's also some education that needs to go involved with it, which is that do you really want to be relying only on the shortcut and looking back and not be proud of yourself for putting in the work? 
or do you want to put in the work and then add it on and amplify your results and be proud of yourself for doing it? Um, do you find that now that you are a bigger, uh, stronger person, uh, do you find yourself comparing yourself to others maybe a little bit less? Because maybe in the past when you're saying, you know, like if you and I are deadlifting together and I, I'm smashing on 405 for reps and you got to keep lowering the weight down to 315, whether I'm on stuff or not, you're kind of automatically assuming and you're also comparing yourself to somebody else. Do you compare yourself to others a little bit less maybe nowadays? One of the big differences is now that I've learned how to manipulate my own body and my chemistry, I can kind of have whatever I want. So if I want to be 300 pounds, I know how to do it. I can be a 300 pound mass monster. So how this changes it for me mentally and how it would change it for anybody is once you realize that it's possible for you, you you're not a hater anymore, right? You, you know, you have the confidence like, okay, if I wanted it, I could have it. So why would you look down on someone? People look down on other people honestly, because they don't think they can have it. So instead of, uh, instead of admitting that they could have it and it could take a amount of work to get it or something, they, they just cop out and just say, oh, well, he's on steroids and you know, whatever. Right. So it, it's, it all comes down to sort of their mental, their mindset. You, uh, planning on competing anytime soon again? Like when's the last time you did a bodybuilding show? I think it was, uh, did I compete? No, I didn't compete at the show. I watched you at your show and I think I competed at the Sacramento show before that. So it might've been oh, not too less ago. than a year yeah. ago that I competed last. I compete at least every year. I, when I first started steroids, I was competing every six months for the first three years. So I competed like six times in the first three years. And then once, no man, I've done at least, I've done, probably done 12 shows. Oh, that's quite a bit. It. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it and multiple classes like you did, you know, competing physique and then competing classic physique and then competing bodybuilding. So I've got trophies all over the place. What'd you think? How'd I look? How'd I do? I was impressed because I'd always seen you as a bloated power lifter and I saw you on stage looking vascular and dry and shred. And I was really impressed with your stamina because here you go, you're up and then boom, you're up for another class and you're flexing and you're flexing hard. You weren't holding back. I was like, I was like, I don't, I don't know if, I'm like, I don't know if Mark's ever competed in a bodybuilding show, but he's like using a flexing, posing a lot of energy and. And then he's up again. He must be exhausted. It was, it was uh wild. Yeah. I just kept going and going and going. And, uh, the hardest part about it was, yeah, holding those poses. Cause I didn't know a lot of poses. So I was like, I'm just going to pretend that I know what I'm doing. And I'm, and I, it was something I worked on, but like, I didn't have a long prep. It's like nine weeks or something like that. So I, I would just get into a pose and I'm like, I'm just going to kind of stay here. And then a couple people told me, like, Hey, you know, when you flex your back, like that's looking really good. So I would just, you know, hold some of the back pose a little bit longer and stuff like that. But yeah, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'm just trying to. So Andrew's point, playing a video of your posing. Look at those glutes. And, and so what I was looking at while I'm watching this too, is I know you come from a powerlifting background. And so your muscles, your whole life have been doing a different type of training than generally we do as bodybuilders. So I was watching to see how it affects the structure of your body. How is it different? And I notice your waist is a little bit wider because power lifters have to have a very strong core. So your lower back was very strong. Your obliques are very strong. Um, your core, your, your whole core of your body was, was, is, is, is stronger than most bodybuilders generally. My, uh, my butt, I got a big old butt <laughs> and I have, and I have like kind of thick obliques. And so like, even when I'm not even when I don't have much body fat on me, it almost always looks like I have love handles, but it's really almost more like the, 
it's like the top of my ass. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but you know, doing this bodybuilding show is something that really, uh, it really, it really helps put in perspective the body that I want to have for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about it. And I, I don't think that I'll, I might, might not always be as lean as I am right now. And you know, I don't, I'll, I'm sure at some point I'll get leaner than that just cause it'll be fun to do something like that again. Um, but I'm not going to let myself go too much further away from where I'm at now. Like I, I feel good. Uh, I feel healthy. I feel strong. And, uh, kind of the main thing now is like, uh, just to kind of move in and out of some different diets and move out in and out of some different things. I like to be real disciplined for moments of time. And I like to, uh, just have some slack in the system at, at times too, and, and just ease up on the nutrition a little bit. See, and then looking at your physique and what I noticed I'm watching right now on the screen and then also when I was watching you in person for bodybuilding purposes, then I would focus on a couple parts that uh, power lifters don't normally focus on, which is sort of arm size and the three-dimensional on the tricep and the bicep. I'd make those pop more and the side delts. Um, so. Yeah, and that's how Hani Rambad was, was kind of hammering me on a lot of that. He wanted me to really uh, bring that up. And I had to really work on kind of shaping my chest too, because I had, you know, I got some, I got a, you know, strong chest, but it just never had much uh, shape to it. And so uh, he was mainly concerned with the uh, biceps and the shoulders though, just like you're saying. And I, I tore both biceps too. So that was actually really tricky because the first, so like I said, I had about nine weeks, this guy looked phenomenal. I had about nine weeks of prep for the contest and, um, it probably took me about three weeks to like learn how to train my biceps again. You know, I trained them a ton as a kid. I loved training them. But once I, uh, once I tore them, I was like, you know, I'm just going to train them just just so they're functional, just so I can handle some weight, but I never really pushed it. And so it was very difficult to, uh, to gain some of that back. And, and this, uh, left one, you know, was kind of rolled up and, uh, it'll still feel weird when I do something like a pull up or something. I don't know what the hell is going to happen with it sometimes. So I got to be kind of careful with it. Mm. Well, we can sight enhance those spots. So that's what yeah. we do. That's what we do in bodybuilding. And, uh, that's, that's a shortcut <laughs> and maybe, uh, stick some, uh, peptides in there. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some peptides. What are some of the, what are some of the most effective things that you've, uh, that you, you've utilized, uh, in, uh, in terms of peptide, steroid, okay. uh, anything. Well, growth hormone, insulin, and steroids is like the trifecta, right? That's, that's how, what bodybuilders use as a combination. And, and growth hormone by itself doesn't do much. Right. Growth hormones, people think it's a growth hormone. <laughs> it's called growth hormone, but yeah. really it's a fat loss hormone. It's a, it causes your body to release fat, to be able to have that to, to build from. And so you can go lower calories, but kind of trick your body into thinking that you have more calories and you have more material to build from. And then the growth hormone breaks down into other peptides. It's like the mother peptide that breaks down to all these other peptides that are responsible for growth, like mechanogroke factor and uh, IGF, insulin-like growth factor, which are the real anabolic peptides. Mm. So in the peptide world, sometimes we inject things like IGF and, and MGF directly, uh, but the drawback is the half-life is quite short and 
you still need some synergy with the growth hormone. So like a, a good combination is if someone, and see, you could be so high maintenance, you could be injecting yourself six times a day if Whoa. you want to be obsessive with this stuff. Right. And that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to be that high maintenance. So what I'll do is I'll do a growth hormone and insulin shot once a day. And that way I'll get the other trickle down peptides out of that. But if I was obsessive about it, I'd be doing the growth hormone and insulin three times a day and I'd be adding in MGF and IGF and all these other peptides along with it. Yeah, interesting. What about um, in terms of SARMs? What's uh, the most effective one you utilized that you can talk about? <laughs> Injecting LGD forty thirty three is the most one of the most powerful muscle building things I've ever experienced. It's uh, probably on par with about a gram of test a week and a hundred milligrams of anadrol uh, per day. So some serious Jesus. mass. Building. Which one is that? Ligandrol, LGD-4033, injected 50 milligrams per day. I can only last five days on it before I grow so fast that it's uncomfortable. Uh, But a lot of skeptics out there are going to say that's ridiculous. No (laughs) way SARMs could ever replace steroids, whatever. You kind of feel like you can't breathe when you're gaining that much size. Yes, yes, and that's exactly why I stopped. So I just started again on uh, 35 Uh milligrams. Everybody better look out. (laughs) Five days in. And yesterday I worked out and I was, I wore my body down and I wasn't training that much and my diet's horrible, but it's about to get on track starting tomorrow. And so then we're going to really see what I can do with 35 milligrams of ligand drop per day. You know, someone's serious when they start on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Most people start on Monday. Yeah. They would, they would push it off until the next Monday. Be like, I can't start on Tuesday because that's just weird. So, but anyway, what's your, uh, so then what's the most effective oral SARM? Uh, the, I think the most shocking results I ever had was the first time that I did S23 at 30 milligrams a day, 10 milligrams taken three times per day. Uh, that was visually shocking on day three. I look in the mirror and I'm vascular and I'm dry and I'm shredded as if I was injecting a hundred milligrams of Winstrol per day Jeez. without the side effects. But I, I also started losing my hair. It was just like the third day and, my, and some hair started falling out mm-hmm. and I didn't know whether... Uh, looking back, I think it wasn't directly because of the SARM was causing hair loss. I think the SARM was causing a little bit of anxiousness and anxiousness and stress is actually for me, the number one cause of hair loss. Like if I get stressed, my hair starts yeah. falling out, but I could take a ton of steroids and my hairs doesn't really fall out. So I think it was the secondary <clears throat> effect of the anxiety being caused by it because it does have some, I would say it's a nootropic benefit because it gives you some of that positive, healthy mental energy and aggression. But also for someone like me, who's this a personality overachiever type, it can cause a little bit too much of that anxiety and Mm -hmm. which we could actually treat our body treats as like stress Mm -hmm. that could end up causing hair loss. Yeah. So the rad 140 works similar as the S 23. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask what the differences were, but if they're similar, like, uh, which one is more available or which one, you know, where can you get either one of them? Does it even matter? No, it, they're 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 pretty similar, and the dosage is pretty similar between S twenty three and Rad one forty two. I really do need to do more research before I would just be speculating too much. I need to do mm-hmm. more research before I can distingu- distinguish the benefits of the two. Um, I I I like S twenty three more because I don't want more of that steroid like aggression or mm-hmm. en- mental energy. And S23 seemed to be more of a physical benefit than a, than the mental. Plus I have taken rad 140 for a little bit longer cycles and it did make me harder, drier, denser, but didn't put on size. 
I felt like on the S23, like I might have put on a little bit of size in addition to looking drier and harder. Nice. And where can you get something like S23? Like in what type of compounds? Uh, well, it just, that's it. That's just it. S23. Just that one thing. Yep. Just the plain old S23. It's, that's the name of it by itself. Doesn't need to be combined with anything else. And is it, is it, uh, legal to sell SARMs or what's, what's kind of the status of them currently? It is, it should be legal, right? They're not, they're not DEA scheduled substances. They're not illegal to possess. They're not illegal to give, but to sell them to someone else, the way that the large supplement industry and the big pharma is trying to keep these out of our possession is by cutting off our supply. So they'll try to prevent you from importing it. They'll try to prevent... Uh, someone from being able to sell it to you by preventing them from being able to get credit card processing, shipping, whatever, any way that the government can try to interfere with your uh, accessibility to these. So they make it very difficult on the people trying to, in good intent, trying to provide these to people. They make it very difficult to provide them to people. So instead of going after the consumer and trying to make it illegal to possess them, because then it would surface. I believe they won't do that because then it will surface what tremendous health benefits these have and that they replace a lot of the the chemicals that big pharma pushes on us that don't cure our diseases. They just treat the symptoms because a lot of these SARMs are cures for diseases. I mean, they, they can cure osteoporosis, joint tendon ligament problems, bone density problems, wow. muscle uh, muscle loss, especially as we age. They would extend our life expect- expectancy uh, substantially. And Alzheimer's not, as well, right? Yeah. Some of them can have a benefit on Alzheimer's as well. So the government does not, and I, I say the government, the government's just the henchman for these other special interest groups that make money off all this stuff. So, that, but the government's the henchman that's trying to prevent our access to both knowledge and education about these things and then also access to them. What does a uh, cotterine do? Is that the name of it? Carterine, also known as GW501516. That's supposed to be the exercise in a bottle. It was developed so that someone could have all the benefits of doing a couple hours of cardio every day just by taking a pill, meaning that they get the fat loss benefits, the insulin resensitization, which means preventing type 2 diabetes and metabolic syndrome, which is also the root of uh, cancer, diabetes, heart disease. So... That is a potential cure for most of the main diseases and things that reduce our life expectancy and quality of life. So also a very big threat to big pharma, which is why I believe it was intentionally sabotaged in the most recent studies to try to scare people away from it. And there's a lot of us that have been using it for 10 years without side effects. And so we hear in the media that these type of things cause cancer. They're going to kill us. It's the end of our youth and all that. And meanwhile, the people that are in the know, and this is, this is another reason I have a problem with, with the way that things are set up is that the educated people, the biohackers, the people like me who have the money to access these things and the knowledge, we can make ourselves superhuman. And the government doesn't have a problem with a few of us doing this. But as soon as we start trying to teach the general population, hey, you can live 20 years longer. Hey, you can be healthier. Hey, you don't need to be addicted to the the foods and the chemicals that are being pushed on you. Hey, there's better alternatives than the drugs that your insurance is paying $1,000 a month for, and you can buy them for only 50 bucks. You know, once that information starts getting out, then the government and I'll call it the enemies of freedom start coming down and attacking our avail- the accessibility to all of these compounds. So, Carterine is a miracle drug. It's also... Uh, 
risky because it could potentially cause cancer if used incorrectly as anything else could kill us if used incorrectly. Um, but that's what most people are. That's actually the, the drug that most athletes were using to get advantage in things like MMA and, and sports. If there was any SARM or research chemical that has given athletes the most advantage over the last 15 years that people didn't know about, it was the carterine. And so if somebody like potentially like a CrossFitter or something could use something like that. And oh, probably... it's total domination. If, if someone, <laughs> yeah, in, in drug tested sports, it's harder now, but in not drug tested sports, uh, the people winning are the people on carterine. I mean, it's like a 20% instant endurance boost. That's insane. Any idea on how, how it actually, like, what does it actually do? Something to the, uh, blood cells or something like that? Or does it get more oxygen to them? Any idea? Your, Speculation? your body runs better on fat than on carbohydrates. So if you can switch your, each cell of your body to run off super fuel fat, uh, then you have an instant performance benefit. And we can see this in the studies with cyclists, runners, the ones that are able to switch between carbohydrate and fat yeah. burning the most between fuel sources, that's the biggest performance advantage you can have. So carterine allows you to access that fat for fuel much easier. That's like a real oversimplification. Right. So it can make sense to most people, but that's what it's doing. Why do you think it, it has potential to maybe cause cancer? Because in your DNA, it's meant to be switched. Certain parts of your DNA is meant to be switched on, switched off. Like you're supposed to be growing sometimes and you're supposed to be breaking down sometimes. You're supposed to be burning fat sometimes. You're supposed to be building muscle sometimes. And your body doesn't do these things at the same time. Your body's not build, building muscle, generally not building muscle and burning fat at the same time. It rotates between them. And that's healthy. Right? And if you want to build more muscle, then spend more time during activating the growth part of your DNA and less time during the breakdown part of your DNA. But when you take something like a carterine that's messing with your genetics or flipping these switches and you take it chronically in high dosage, then you're flipping this switch and you're leaving it on. Mm. And that's going to create some mutation over a long period of time. So generally everything should be cycled, just approaching any drug, vitamin, anything it's healthier approach to cycle things. That's how we should, uh, that's how we should plan on taking things. Your diet, your different. diet, you know, your diet should be cycled too. I mean, all these things that it, it always makes sense. You should be switching up and you should be, uh, seeking out not only the truth, but seeking out, uh, maybe like what, maybe, uh, almost questioning what you always thought to be true. Let, let's use the diet as an example, carbohydrates, since you're big on the, um, lower carbohydrate diet approaches, yeah. and especially your brother's like the whole other extreme extreme on the yeah. carnivore diet, which I had a lot of fun with him in LA and, and going to the carnivore meetup. That was pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, by the way, everybody at the carnivore meetup looked very healthy. And That's I awesome. doubt, I doubt if I went to a vegan meetup that everybody would look <laughs> and, and, and healthy and, and <laughs> right. as intelligent. Um, but when you, when you're dealing with carbohydrates, you can go on a high carbohydrate diet, build a lot of muscle, have a lot of great performance, but eventually if you don't come off that high carbohydrate diet, you're going to ruin your insulin sensitivity. You're not going to be able to handle carbs as well. And your body's going to, body's blood sugar levels are starting to start going up and your body's going to go toxic. So carbohydrates are something that your body usually benefits from cycling. Now you can take out the carbohydrates completely, right? And totally neutralize that issue, but you'll also be missing out on some of the potential performance benefits. So if you're balancing health and performance and longevity, 
the best thing to do is say, by default, we do not need carbohydrates, but when we need the performance or the muscle gain, we add in the carbohydrates. And that's part of cycling. You add, you use them when needed. And I think the carterine's the same way. It's not something we need to be on every day. We use it when it's needed and we, and, and we have no health side effects so long as we use it intermittently when it's needed. When we, when we want increased endurance, I don't need increased endurance at 365 days a year. Why would I take it 365 days a year? If I'm going to do a month, this month, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to get my, I don't run, I don't I hardly do cardio, but if I'm going to increase my cardio performance this month, I'm going to take it this month and it's going to make it a lot easier. I'm going to make a year's worth of cardio performance in one month. That's a good month to use it, but I don't need to be on it 24, seven, 365. That makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of, uh, What's been the worst of it? You've injected yourself a lot of stuff. You've, you know, you mentioned some trial and error over the years. Like what's, what's the worst thing? Like where you're like, holy shit, I should not have, what am I, what am I doing? Why did I do that? Yeah. My, my experiment protocols usually involve taking a small amount of something first to test my sensitivity to it. See if I have any side effects. Just like when you put a little, you know, skin cream says, any kind of lotion says to try it on a one square inch area on your arm before you rub it on your whole body and have an allergic reaction in the hospital. So I normally start with a very low dosage, but there are times when I just jumped in and I wanted to launch the experiment faster and I took a high dose of something and it was a mistake. And that's happened with steroids before and getting dirty steroids and feeling like I was almost going to have to have my arm amputated uh, all the way to the site enhancement. And the chemical byproducts of a cross-linked hyaluronic acid dermafiller, which is like uh, what girls would inject into their butts to get that Brazilian butt, and what the formafil that Coach Trevor invented, uh, what that's based on, you know, there there was batches where they didn't remove the chemical that was used for the reaction to cross-link it to make it more dense, to make it last longer in the muscle. I inject too much, and I end up in bed for a week, like barely able to even get out of bed. And because I experimented with like 30 different site enhancements back then, I'm constantly experimenting. The camera and the public don't even see all the experiments because I don't want to mislead them until I have enough data. So sometimes I'll tease everybody and I'll be like, hey, I'm doing this experiment. Here's what I'm taking. And sometimes it's like, I don't want, I don't want you guys to go even remotely try this until I've tried it. And so let me see what happens. And that's why with like, the site enhancement, I was really careful, even though I've been researching it for two and a half years, I was really careful on what information I released because I didn't want someone else to go get sick like I did. In terms of uh, your diet and your uh, training, um, you mentioned like you want to have some room for fun. And so that's part of the reason why you do all these experiments, part of the reason why you have uh, kind of pushed the boundaries and, and, and part of the reason why you're testing the waters with all this stuff. What does your diet, I mean, you look like you're in great shape. Um, how much do you weigh? 220 pounds. Yeah, you're 220 pounds. Your body fat percentage looks really good. How are you staying in, in good shape? Like what's the training regimen look like? You're training six days a week. You, you're eating really well. For the last three years, I traveled so much. On average of once a week, I was in a different hotel, different city. And so imagine trying to live a bodybuilder's lifestyle with like a, a clean Your Tupperware. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard. So my, that's why I say my, even though I have such a good understanding of diet and training, I'm not able to implement the parts that require discipline and consistency. So I, I could tell you 
I could tell you exactly what I did for the last week, for example, but that doesn't, and this is why a lot of people misinterpret information. Well, I may have built this muscle two years ago and I, when I did everything right and, and people might watch what I'm doing today and think, ah, this is how he built the muscle by sporadically training and, and recklessly with his diet that builds. No, that's not what built muscle. It was the discipline before that built the muscle. And now I'm just cruising which is kind of the case. So I'll go through bursts when everything's perfect and I'll make so much progress and the rest is just kind of cruising and mainly to not get fat. That's, that's my goal is not get fat. Just maintain what I have, not get fat because I love eating. I love eating more than I love weightlifting. Eating is my favorite thing. And I love to, right before I go to bed, I love to, I love to gorge myself with food, but it's also like a necessity. Like before I go to sleep, I got to gorge myself with so many carbs that I just get, feel like I'm going to pass out. That's, that's what I do every night. You just conk out. Yeah. So that's not a good example. That's not a good diet. How do, how do you, uh, how do you manage that? So you don't get fat? Like there's gotta be at least, cause like we hear it all the time on the show. We have a lot of guests on that, that, that have great physiques and they'll say, Oh, I eat whatever I want right now. And, and their version of eat whatever they want is still bodybuilder ish, uh, in a sense. So how do you kind of mitigate not allowing yourself to get fat? Is there some fasting that's going on during the day or, or something a little different? Or is there any regard to the overall amount of food or the type of food, or is there any tracking that's going on or anything like that? So we all have an acceptable range of our body fat. We're okay being like, you're okay putting on a couple pounds of fat. You're not okay putting on 50 pounds of fat. Right. So as you start gaining fat, there becomes a point where you're like, oh, I better tailor this back a little bit. So the same thing with me. I stay within an acceptable range. If I start getting fat outside the range, then I need to be a more aggressive in my countermeasures. <laughs> so like I, I will, if I start getting too fat, I might even throw in a little bit of cardio, fasted cardio. I might up the fat burners. I might take things to suppress my appetite. I rely a lot on things like growth hormone, uh, MK677, the oral growth hormone secretagogue is amazing for me for burning fat, uh, but it also makes me hungry. So I have all these tools at my disposal that I'll use. Um, and so let's just take today as an example. So today I took growth hormone and insulin this morning. That's going to burn a lot of fat. That's going to make up for, and I did that to make up for the amount of calories I ate last night. So I, I'm offsetting it. And then I don't really feel like lifting today. I'm still going to go lift because I need to burn the calories that I ate in excess. And then I know that I'm going to gorge myself tonight. So I need to increase my body's ability to hold more glycogen so I can eat more carbs without it turning into fat. And then I invented the Slin Pills, which is a nutrient partitioner supplement, which causes more carbohydrates to shuttle into the muscle than into the fat. I rely heavily on those. I've been a big proponent of that kind of stuff for years. You know, just uh, there's all kinds of different versions of it. There's berberine and alpha lipoic acid and those kinds of things. Is it that kind of supplement? Exactly. Cinnamon, yeah. right? Like all these Correct. Things. With a little bit more emphasis on supplements that cause nutrients to shuttle in the muscle and less emphasis on the supplements that cause us to just excrete the nutrients. So more, a little bit more bodybuilder oriented to where we're not just trying to like block the carbs. We want to actually uptake more carbs mm. into the muscle cells. Suck them up. So insulin sensitivity though, is the number one factor. This is and hormone, hormonal balance, balance between estrogen and testosterone. So I always make sure my anabolics are higher than my estrogen, which means that more of my nutrients are going to be stored as muscle. I make sure I keep my growth hormone levels 
higher or spiked sometimes so that I nutrient partition. And then I use the, the slim pills. And then I also monitor my carbohydrates. So I know when I'm eating too many carbs, I know I'm going to have to make up for that by dropping the carbs lower to regain my insulin sensitivity and also to deplete my carbohydrate storage so that when I eat the carbs later, they're going to store in the muscle and not convert into fat. So a lot of this is, uh, there's still a ton of thought that goes on. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's a voice inside my head. I have parallel voices in my head. Yeah. And one is always monitoring like how to maintain this physique. But see, I don't, I also don't want it to be this hard and complicated for that many other people too. So I try to learn what works the best and simplify it and try to teach other people. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, for, for myself, you know, what I've learned, you know, over the last couple of years, especially was that if I can share with somebody a diet that ends up agreeing with like their stomach, I'm not talking about how big their stomach is talking about agreeing with like, you know, how, how the, how they're absorbing, absorbing the nutrients. If it can piece together at least somewhat into their lifestyle. And it might not at first, because that sometimes is really hard because somebody might drink every night and eat pizza every other day or something. So that, that one's kind of hard. Uh, but the main thing that I've seen when somebody comes to me and they said, you know what, man, I've been doing that diet for the last, you know, six weeks. I lost eight pounds and you know what? It hasn't been that hard. Whenever they say it hasn't been that hard, that's what I hold on to. And that's what, that's what I'm fascinated with is how do I get more people to say that? You know, this, uh, this, uh, book war on carbs, a low carb uh, diet. It's very black and white. A lot of people that I've worked with, they respond really well to you're off the diet. If you're eating carbs and you're on the diet, if you're not, you know, it's pretty simple. And you have these selections of meats and you got these selections of vegetables they are all kind of fair game. And if you're really dying for something and you got a sweet tooth, have some blueberries, have some fruit, but get right back to the plan as, as soon as possible. Same thing with intermittent fasting. I always thought fasting was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But then when you eliminate choices, which is fasting, you know, times a million, right? When you, when you eliminate choices, uh, it really leaves you with no option. You don't have a choice. You're, you're just not eating. So what's the diet look like? What's the meal prep look like? Well, you're looking at it. Here's my, here's my meal prep. Right. And so, uh, that's what I've learned over the years is when, when I can tell someone or when someone says to me, rather not me telling them when they tell me, Hey, you know what? I've been doing that. That's not, not that hard. That's been, that's been pretty good. And certain things are going to be really difficult for certain people. A low carb diet is not going to, not going to feel great to everybody. And so that's why we have so many different theories and so much different information out there. And then in terms of fasting, well, a 16 hour fast or 18 hour fast, I might be able to get used to that, but maybe for somebody else, they can only do 12 or 10, but you're still partitioning out the amount of caloric intake that you have for the day. And that could be vital towards, uh, someone being healthier and being in better shape. So, so what I do and you, because you understand the chemistry and nutrition so well, we, you and I could wing it, right? We can know like a, how, like roughly how much of our carbohydrate stores in our muscles are full, where our liver glycogen's at, what our blood sugar's at. 
uh, manipulate our own chemistry, but it's too complicated for most people. Most people listening to this, they just don't, they're not going to have the time to learn this, learn their body that much. So it, that's why following a diet or an exercise program really does make sense. And especially something like the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, it's like you almost can't go wrong with it, right? It's, it's going, it's going to work. And same thing with training program with progressive overload that, monitors how much weight you lifted this week. And yes, of course, next week you're going to take baby steps. You're going to be able to lift a little bit more. And yes, it's going to work because you're applying progressive overload principles. Um, on the other hand, since we get to an advanced level, like where I'm at, I can manipulate my diet and my training on an hourly basis, daily basis or whatever for what's best for my body. And someone else might watch that and try to copy what I do, but mm. their body's totally different in a different state and their glycogen levels are different. They, their chemistry is different. So nobody should copy what I do, for example, but they can learn from elements of it. And, and, and everything that I do is an experiment. People shouldn't be probably shouldn't be experimenting on themselves or don't even have time or the mental capacity or the financial resources to experiment on themselves. So they have to just take bits and pieces of what they can learn from what our experiments. Have you ever, uh, had a SARM that like, uh, you know, takes away muscle or causes any other weird side effects or anything like that? No, but that reminds me of uh, steroids. There's, you know, there's anabolic steroids and there's like steroids that are the opposite. Anabolic. Catabolic, yeah. Catabolic steroids, yeah. Like uh, Flonase, the nasal spray. I freaking love Flonase because I've always had horrible <laughs> allergies my whole life. My immune system is a bit overreactive, which means it overreacts to things in our environment like allergens as well. And Flonase has been a lifesaver for my nose. But uh, I had a girlfriend over the other night and she was talking about how, oh, she really wants to, you know, her son to use Flonase, but it's got steroids in it. She doesn't want to put them on steroids as if they're anabolic steroids. So in the SARM world, no, like in the steroid world, yeah, there's anabolic steroids, catabolic steroids. But in the SARM world, no, they're all, they're all anabolic. <laughs> like, man, I've been using that Flonase. <laughs> it's got these massive, <laughs> massive traps. You know, what's interesting is you, you mentioned being a nerd. And then you mentioned having allergies. And I actually heard someone the other day, uh, talk about like a report and he was, um, or a study rather. And he was talking about, he's like, you ever hear someone say they got, they got allergies. He's like, it's almost always comes from a nerd. <laughs> and I was like, what is this guy taught? What's this guy getting at? And he, he actually showed like a study and, and it wasn't really necessarily about being a nerd, but it was about. Uh, being like inside and not being outside and not getting like, uh, just playing in dirt and certain, and then, uh, you know, getting used to certain, uh, flowers and certain grass and those kinds of things. So, you know, getting dirty as a kid and like getting out there in the mud and stuff like that, I guess can be important to fend off allergies. Yeah. Giving our immune system different stimulus so right. that we can, our body can determine what is actually an enemy to our body versus what's just part of our environment. Don't be a nerd. <laughs> what you got? Well, I mean, it's the question I've been wanting to ask you since you walked into the doors. Why are your biceps so big? Exactly. Let me get a peak check and hurry up. <laughs> there you not go. Too shabby. Now, uh, I'm 33. I definitely have not peaked as far as like my fitness abilities and whatnot. Um, is something like SARMs a good idea for me to start taking? Uh, see, so, okay. <laughs> so that's like hours of conversation, right. getting to know you and everything. You said you haven't peaked. Definitely what, not. No. You mean you have a lot more natural potential. I believe I do. Yeah. 
I don't know how much more I've been skinny my whole life. And I mean, I don't want to shock you, but drug free athlete, quote, yeah. athlete <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> so one argument would be you should reach your natural potential before you take any chemical enhancement. Mm-hmm. The other argument, which is more of my philosophy of life, is uh, if, if you're going to put, you're going to put the work in, um, but you want to accelerate the progress so that you can, instead of putting in a hundred hours into developing, or let's say a thousand hours in developing your physique, you can get the same physique in, in 200 hours. And then that eight other 800 hours you could use towards something else to improve some other level part of your life. Mm-hmm. So if you're that type of person that's an overachiever that wants to develop a better physique faster so that you can save that time and energy to apply to some other element of your life to become better in that category too, then I say chemical enhancement. And, and 33, uh, that's a <laughs> fine age. I mean, that's, you know, I don't have to worry about uh, the feminazis getting mad that I'm talking to like a, a teenager <laughs> mm-hmm, <right. laughs> about taking mm-hmm. chemical enhancement. Um, so, and I was 30 when I started, uh, now you, you're, you're really, you're really, your only risk. I mean, although there's lots of risk to everything, really your only risk is the testosterone suppression, mm-hmm. but then we can use me as an example that here I've been on all these compounds and I still am able to regain testosterone production or at least fertility. And so it's a very unlikely side effect. The likely it's a 99% chance that you go on a low dose of SARMs, you have tremendous benefits and you have zero side effects. Like nine, But you're playing that 1%. So you right. as an educated person who's making a decision that you're responsible for have to t- understand you're taking that 1% risk. Yeah, makes sense. There's also the risk of uh, just it being a gateway, right? Like like you kind of, you, you opened up that yeah. door. I was going to ask that as well. Too. And then you're kind of like on whatever, but look, uh, there's absolutely, <laughs> there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with steroids. They just look weird. They look different. You know, the syringe and the oil and the whole concept, but injecting some testosterone, I mean, it, like you, you said it yourself earlier, it's been around longer. You know, mm-hmm. people have like, we, like we know that, uh, testosterone, you don't take a shot of testosterone and no one keels over from it. Speaking of gateway drugs, because this is, I think this is a fundamental issue of what we're, that's right. You've got a very good point. Uh, my gateway drug was NyQuil. So I was so drug free, so anti-drug. I didn't even want to take my allergy medicine until I'm a practicing lawyer and I'm working 18 hours a day. And if I catch a cold or something, it's like, it's like, oh my God, I, I have to try something to relieve myself so that I can, otherwise I can't work 18 hours. I can only work 10. So I tried NyQuil and it worked and I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I am like 27 years old probably before I try and before I use NyQuil willingly and other than my mom forcing it down my throat. Uh, Well, actually my mom pretty much respected my anti-drug policy too. Extremely anti-drugs my my whole life. But then I try NyQuil and and I realize, oh, this isn't so bad. Maybe there's other ways to enhance myself and, and take shortcuts and improve the quality of my life. And then of course, once you inject steroids, once you stick a needle in your body, then it's everything else seems small, right? Then yeah. taking a pill, even if it's a painkiller or something else seems like not a big deal. So it can kind of be a gateway, but here's why I think society is making gateway drugs a problem because society will tell us, or the media will tell it, will try to scare us with misinformation and sensationalized negativity that something is bad. 
And then when we find the truth that it's not bad, like let's just take marijuana, for example, the side effects of which were extremely exaggerated. Everything has side effects. Marijuana has side effects. But someone, someone who, like me, who thinks that marijuana is going to be the end of society as we know it. It's the end of the world. It's the devil. That's what I used to think. And then I use marijuana. And I'm like, wow, this has a lot of benefits. This can really improve my quality of life, my sleep, my relaxation, my relationships. So many things have benefited from the marijuana, and I suffer no addiction from it. And But it becomes a gateway because then I think, okay, if they're lying to me about marijuana, are they lying to me about cocaine and methamphetamine and heroin too? <clears throat> okay, so the truth is I have enough experience to know that methamphetamine is a, is a very slippery slope. I've not tried it, but I have a lot of friends that yeah. do and have, right. and I've been around it a lot. Um, so there are some drugs that <laughs> deserve the type of negative attention that they get, but there's other drugs that don't. And when we scare people away with false negative information about drugs that could be beneficial and then they use them and they figure out they work and now they think, oh, all drugs are okay. Now we have a problem. Now we have a gateway drug problem. But if we just gave them accurate information to make their decisions in the first place, we wouldn't have this slippery slope gateway problem. Yeah. So be careful, kids. Don't take NyQuil. You might start taking roids and you might be, be jacked. super jacked and happy. <laughs> okay, so for 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 all the uh, preaching I do about how wonderful steroids and SARMs and chemical enhancement are, let me make it perfectly clear: I think that methamphetamine is is a bad drug. <laughs> that's I think that's where we draw the line. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, something like a psychedelic drug, you know, like we, we've always been taught too that that those are bad. But um, Mike Tyson, I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, and, and many other people and Joe Rogan himself and other people I know have talked about how it makes your reality for mortality way different. Uh, it makes you just not, I guess maybe in some terms, maybe not fear death or be less, uh, less scared of that. Now, so if we're to think about that in terms of, um, utilizing something like that from a medical standpoint, you know, what if you came in to me and I'm, I'm a, a cardiologist and you said, man, I've been having these weird heart palpitations, man, I think I'm going to die. I'm stressed out. And I run a bunch of tests on you and it turns out, looks like, Hey man, actually everything's okay. We run a blood, we do some blood work, everything else kind of checks out to be pretty much okay. But you keep coming back and you keep saying, look, man, I'm still, ha I'm still, you know, I, I, I don't know, man, I think I'm going to die. Like I, something's wrong. Like something's off that would be an appropriate time to probably suggest something like a psychedelic drug, which could potentially, if you were to think about it, if, what if it was the thing that got you over, uh, you fearing death. And I think that our thoughts, uh, really kind of lead our body down this, uh, path that could be shitty sometimes can be bad. Right. And so if you think that you're going to die of a heart attack, you probably are, you're probably, you're probably halfway there if that's kind of the thought process. And so I, I agree a hundred percent. I think a lot of these, uh, I'm not, you know, saying, Hey, everyone should go out and just party. Right. But, um, I think that it would be great if some of these things were looked at as, uh, not only negative, if they were looked at carefully and they were looked at to potentially, uh, help people with all kinds of things from muscle building to, uh, you know, memory to, uh, you having a certain mindset and certain, 
uh, all kinds of capabilities can come from these things. Yeah. The challenge is getting the accurate information out there. Cause like we said, it's all the negative information is you can talk about that all day, but you can't talk positively about these. Now this podcast format is interesting. This is uh, from what I understand, you can talk a lot more openly on a podcast than you can like a Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, which is where I've gotten all my stuff censored from. So I, if I'd like to see more of how deep we can go into this, some of this stuff, because we can get really specific on some topics of some exact protocols and experiments and heck I'll even take mushrooms on the show here. For the, Only <laughs> for if you have enough to site. share for everybody else. If not, you no. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's, you know, what podcasts are for. I think podcasts, you know, we have this long formats on purpose and a lot of times we'll shoot multiple videos with people. We'll do a podcast. Sometimes we'll do an actual YouTube video, um, as well. It's just to give people, you know, different, sometimes people only want like a 10 minute thing or whatever, but these podcasts, it's important that we, we get to know who you are. Like, what is this message? Like, uh, you know, I didn't start the podcast out with what the hell are SARMs, you know, because I wanted to learn more about you and without really, you and I don't really know each other that well. Um, and, uh, in the first like five minutes of the show, I'm sitting here going, holy shit, like this guy's brilliant. This is, this is way different than, uh, just what you, what, what the, you know, can't judge a book by its cover. Right. And then you got the syringe and you're jacked. And so somebody might think, Hey, this is, this equals uh one, two, and three, right. I've seen this before, but no, you can't really judge a book by its cover. You have a lot of knowledge in the space. And then the information that you shared about, um, you know, some of the tapes that you heard as a kid on personal development. And it's like, Holy shit, this, this is a, this goes way beyond. And that's what Andrew and I love about this podcast is this is so much fun for us. We get to talk to Brian Shaw, who's six foot eight and 440 pounds. One of the most brilliant people I've seen. Uh, he's a genius. And, and a lot of these people don't get credit for being a genius because, uh, well, in your case, you were a lawyer, but a lot of these people don't get, uh, you know, they don't get the credit they deserve because they didn't, uh, you know, put a man on the moon or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and a soundbite gets taken out of what any one of our messages are, and then that becomes like everybody looks at that one saying, so Tony Huge is about promoting steroids to minors. Like all, that That's a headline that you might actually see somewhere. All drugs. Because mm -hmm. it's not taken in context, but because you asked some of the background and saw where I'm coming from and some of my motivations and, and how I arrived at the conclusions that I live my life by now... And that I still don't know everything and I'm still learning and experimenting every day. Now, all of a sudden, all the information that I give has context to it. So that's smart. Yeah. These, uh, do these SARMs do anything to your wiener? Because, you know, I know like, you know, years of being on and off testosterone, your, uh, libido goes up and down. Sometimes your libido goes way up and your dick doesn't, which that isn't fun because <laughs> oh, no. you want to like rub it on somebody, but you can't really <laughs> get it to do what it needs to do. So, uh, does SARMs kind of, does it mess with any of that? I don't know. And here's why I don't know, because I have had such conflicting evidence from anecdotal reports from all the people that I work with that are taking SARMs, every type of people, old, young, uh, bodybuilders, steroid experienced natties, and the results seem all over the board. Um, most people get a little bit of a libido or performance increase that seems to plateau. The same what happens with steroids. It seemed like when we go on steroids for the first six weeks, I remember my sex drive was awesome. 
And then it plateaued and it just never went anywhere from there. And then if I go on certain compounds, it can, it can even drop or it has a lot to do with my estrogen levels too. When my estrogen levels go down too low, I completely lose all sexual motivation and performance. And yeah. That's like getting ready for a bodybuilding show. So it, it's like yeah. the last thing on your mind. <laughs> yeah. So it seems like what's happening now, I'm going to speculate a little bit, but some of this is actual, actual information from uh, experiments that we've done is the SARMs reduce your natural testosterone production, dose dependent, and depending on how powerful the SARMs you're taking and for how long you take them. The more you take uh, for the longer duration, I would imagine the more natural testosterone may drop depending on the SARM. Now, in some people, it seems like the SARMs replace all the benefits of testosterone and we don't even need testosterone. Our libido is maintained perfectly on SARMs, elevated and then plateaued, just like if we were on testosterone. But in other cases, it seems like the testosterone gets suppressed to the point where our estrogen also decreases because estrogen is made in the male body from the conversion from testosterone. So your testosterone goes down Mm. and generally your estrogen levels are a percentage of your testosterone levels. So your testosterone goes down and then relatively your estrogen goes down as well. And then sex drive suffers, uh, what I've seen cure this problem is people, because this doesn't happen, it's not always a problem for everybody. What seems to cure that problem is people add in testosterone with the SARM. Now they're running SARM and plus testosterone. And then people say, well, why would, why, if you're going to take testosterone, you're going to take steroids, why would you even take SARMs in the first place? Because they have a lot less side effects for the amount of muscle they build. So like my longevity stack and my intent was to run 250 milligrams of testosterone, just a low dose. And then add the SARMs on top of that so that I can build all the muscle as if I was running a gram of steroids with only running 250 milligrams without the side effects. And that was my hypothesis. And that theory so far has proved generally true. Uh, So when you're asked, how does it affect sexual performance? That's why I had to give you some of the background and, and, and basically say it seems different in different situations. And the net effect I'd say is, is minimal. Like if you took an average of everybody and how SARMs affect their sexuality, I'd say the net effect is minimal. So it seems to make sense to stack, uh, SARMs, some of them with more SARMs, right. And in some cases, even with testosterone, like if you were to take massive amounts of testosterone, um, the, the effects, uh, you know, you could have hypertension, edema, um, just gaining size and then all the things that kind of accompany that, which is, uh, like sleep apnea and some of these other things. So if you were to take more of a mild dosage, as you're kind of saying, uh, and you were to take some SARMs and maybe you can get the benefits of the testosterone, you get the benefits of the SARMs. You don't have to take that much SARMs because you got the steroids mixed in there. And so you're ending up with a blend of, uh, the best of both worlds. Is that, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So like, instead of taking, just to relate it to testosterone dosages, instead of taking 600 milligrams of testosterone per week, I would take 250 milligrams of testosterone per week plus uh, 150 milligrams of a SARM per week, just as an example. So I'm taking a total of less milligrams, but SARMs are much more potent than steroids milligram per milligram, generally speaking. And then I would have all the benefits of the 600 milligrams of testosterone without the side effects. And arguably there's also very little side effects of even doing 600 milligrams of testosterone, but I want even less side effects than that. And I don't want to have to worry about my DHT and estrogen conversion. Cause if I'm taking more, the more testosterone I take, 
Now the more I got to worry about DHT side effects and estrogen side effects, and then I got to try to take an aromatase inhibitor to prevent some of that testosterone from going to burn estrogen so I don't have too many estrogenic side effects. So it just makes it more complicated. It's so much more simple to take one TRT shot per week and add a, a pill of oral SARMs on per day. Very simple, low maintenance, low side effect. That's like my general longevity, health, and, and bodybuilding performance protocol that I sort of use as my foundation, and then I experiment from there. Are there some people that are in really, really good shape? Uh, they're in really good shape, and as far as you know, all they do is SARMs? Yes. There's a lot of competition bodybuilders that only run SARMs now, especially females. Oh, my God. Female, there's no reason a female should ever take a Son steroid. of a bitch. We have not talked about females. How do they affect females? <laughs> Incredible. Right. Okay, so people can debate... What's better, SARMs or steroids for men? And, and you, could, you could have a good debate about it. But with females, it's undebatable. SARMs, f- the benefits far exceed steroids, and the side effects are a small fraction. Would SARMs, even in large dosages, uh, affect uh, a female in terms of like bloat, male characteristics, or um, changing of the voice? Yes, they will have all the same side effects as steroids if they take a high enough dosage. High dose, long but term. The, but the key is keeping the moderate dosage. And I'll say if, if, uh, to oversimplify women usually use something like an Anivar, which is highly anabolic and very low androgenic. Well, SARMs are even more anabolic and mm. even less androgenic for, for all the reasons why Anivar is a great steroid for women. SARMs are even a better st- anabolic for women. Androgenic refers to uh, male characteristics, right, um, right. but also some of the benefits of steroids come from the androgenic nature of steroids as well. Right. Yeah, and Anivar, you know, people are confused about Anivar, but Anivar, uh, a long ass time ago, used to be sold in 2.5 milligram dosages. And, uh, you know, since that time, things have changed. There's underground steroid labs and people, you know, make steroids at home and all kinds of weird stuff and people make droppers and you can get 50 milligram and so on. Anivar, you know, they originally would speculate that Anivar was like almost like it was healthy uh, and healthier than other steroids. It's not necessarily that it's healthy or healthier than anything that's really around. It's mainly just the dosage. The dosage is not really high. And so uh, typically bodybuilders from years ago would take, you know, maybe uh, 10 and it was actually very, very expensive. That's the other thing I forgot to mention. It was very expensive. They might take uh, 10 milligrams uh, per day, which would be 70 milligrams over the course of a seven day period. And it was ac- in fact, it was so expensive. People would take it five days and they wouldn't take it on the weekend just to try to save money because it was super expensive. So you, you would take, you know, 70 milligrams a week, which is a real drop in the bucket when it comes to a, uh, a steroid. So it wasn't that Anivar is good for you, and it wasn't that Anivar is healthier than other steroids. It was a little bit more dosage-dependent than just that. Yeah, so SARMs are the same way. If you take a very low dosage of SARMs, there's like no side effects, but the benefits are also less. And we increase the dosage, the same thing as Anivar. Anivar can have side effects at higher dosages, and then it's also a pretty power... It's, it's, it's a decently strong steroid if you take it in very, very high dosages. Right. <laughs> I recorded that on the uh, the Instagram story there. Yeah, I like it. Give people a little teaser. <laughs> right. You can't have too many forms. You can't have too many formats, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the first for the podcast. Somebody uh, 
promote it while still on the podcast. That's pretty good. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I just whip it out right in the middle of the podcast. Hey, now. Start <laughs> that, you, uh, that, that's not a first, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. You uh, do a lot of self-promotion. You, you up to date on uh, all the social media stuff. Yeah, it's really hard to get my message out without getting censored, though. So I've had to really tailor my content back. I love doing comedy around steroids to break the taboo, but mm. it's like you can't even joke about it anymore. Oh, you know what else I'm getting censored for now is ladyboys. So I I actually like lady. I love, <laughs> well, should, the, the comment can, section did, did just the camera it, capture his did the yeah, camera yeah. capture Mark's facial expression when I said that? It's absolutely <laughs> priceless. Yeah, the the chat room has been just like lady boys talk about lady boys. I'm like uh, guys, I I don't know what what are you, what are you talking about here. So in Asia, lady boys are people that were born as men right. and then they become women. And you know, here we say trannies. See, I love that I can even say this because I can't even say do you know that I cannot say the word tranny? Tranny is not okay to say on social media. You say that, you get censored. You really? get banned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm but I'm saying it here because I can. <sighs> Feels good to say it. <laughs> let it out. That's so insane. I, because I did a video clip the other day where I said, let me get something clear to everybody here. Dr. Tony Huge loves lady boys not trannies lady boys are beautiful majestical unicorn creatures gift from god <laughs> they're more beautiful than women they know how to treat a man they're everything that we hope like a, they're, they're perfect tens oftentimes Be, but you know if you live in america you may never have seen one of these rare creatures you go to thailand and they're everywhere and they'll trick you you'll meet a girl and you'll be like, this is the most beautiful, most badass chick I've ever met. She's like perfect in every way. She t like, I'm a Rubik's cube and I, you know, it takes a lot to turn me on sometimes. Like she's hitting every single button, doing everything right. Wow. And then you get in the bedroom and yeah, there's a penis. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes there's a fake vagina because uh -oh. they actually make fake vaginas that look totally real and you can't tell the difference, but it's more shallow and it's not self-lubricating. <laughs> That's how you can tell. Uh, and from I've never, what you heard. Yeah, from that. I've actually never experienced, like I've touched a fake vagina, but I've, I've never uh, had intercourse with a fake vagina. You're like, that's uh, way too dry. I don't know if, yeah, I'm sure it'll happen someday. It's it's only a matter of time. I Maybe, actually, maybe I've been tricked in the past. A lot of guys have slept with ladyboys and they don't even know it's a ladyboy. They just think they had a hot one night stand. Okay, but then you have in America, there's just... Everybody, uh, women are just so much more masculine in America. Like, and this is what's funny is people say, oh, Tony Huge, you're gay because you like lady boys. And like, no, you're gay because you live in America and you're dating American feminazi women that are more bull dyke <laughs> and more masculine than any of the lady boys I've ever dated. <laughs> All right. So I said on the, I said on the clip that got censored that I like lady boys, not trannies. Trannies are dudes with a wig and lipstick. Like that's not, that's, that's gay. No, no problem against gay. It's just, I'm not gay. I just love lady boys specifically. And, and, and actually I exaggerate it as a tool. Most of what I do is all a tool to try and educate people, to try and convince them to adopt a life of more freedom and responsibility and not accept mediocrity. And one of the ways to do that is to open their minds up about lady boys, be accepting, be loving. Uh, and also lady boys are pioneers of human evolution too. Just as we men want to become more of men, but then you take a man who wants to become more of a female and chemically and surgically enhances themselves to become the ultimate female for all the same reasons I, 
I, I think that's amazing that they do that. I think it's also amazing that we, and we should have the right to become supermen, to become even more masculine. And I love the polarity. I love to be, make myself more masculine and then to be with a female that makes herself more feminine. And I love that contrast. Do you think some of this, uh, feeling has anything to do with your fascination of, of the human body and human physique? It, it does. It's like a trip. Cause and I think I, like you see it in bodybuilding a lot where there's, there's kind of like, you know, there's kind of just more of an openness of, of, uh, guys being with guys and guys being with girls and like bisexuality and all these different things are explored. And, and maybe it's like, because the guy, you know, since the time he was 12 has been, you know, looking at other guys' bodies, not that it's homosexual, but just that it's, it's like, there's a part of the brain that's probably more open. You know, you see, you see a guy and you're like, Hey, that guy's got amazing pecs. Like that's a weird thought process for, uh, like a construction worker or something wouldn't, would never say something like that. So you think that some of the fascination might have some, something to do with your bodybuilding? Yeah. Yeah. Worship of the, of the body and what you want it to become. And also like even people that love anime, anime porn, for example, right. right? They just take it to that extreme, but they appreciate it. And it's almost like bigger than life. It's bigger than what we're born with. It's, we can become what we want. We can become our fantasies and uh, I have a lot of respect for it. And it also is a tool to open up people's mind in general about everything because that same closed minded mentality that prevents people from accepting the truth about steroids and chemical enhancement is, is the same type of judgmental mentality that prevents them from embracing other forms of, uh, other types of genders and sexuality and everything. And, and the problem with America and Jesus, Canada and this whole, like bringing so much attention to transgender and all this is they're just stirring up more hate between the different segments of our community. It gets it's, to be more complicated rather than less. Yeah, I mean, you go to Thailand and they're, what I, one of the reasons I love Thailand, I spend so much time there is because they really embrace freedom and they're not judgmental and they're very loving and it's a Buddhist open culture. And so you can be what you want there. And, and it's amazing feeling to go to a place to come from a place from like America where you feel like it's very hard to be what you actually want to be. You have to conform to go to a country that embraces whatever you want to be. You can be that and you'll be respected and you'll be loved for it. And if everybody adopted more of the love and respect, because, okay, I'm going to jump all the way back to the fundamental belief of freedom, freedom and comfort are two opposite different things. So in, in America, we want to feel comfortable. We don't like feeling uncomfortable. And by unfortunately that means taking away other people's freedom because when they make us feel uncomfortable, we have to take away their freedom so that we can feel comfortable. And that's the wrong way of looking at it. I was very anti-smoking. This is a great example. I had a friend that was a, not an anarchist, a libertarian. I'm more of an anarchist, I'd say further than libertarian, but she's a libertarian and a, a brilliant political mind and an influence in my young life. Uh, one of my parents' friends who just passed away, unfortunately. But she was telling me about smoking. She likes to smoke. And she was using that as an example. She's saying smoking, cigarettes are getting taxed more and more and every, so much hate against cigarettes. And, and true, cigarettes are, are it it's, it's, can be rude. You smoke in front of other people. You're affecting their health. But at the same time, it's a test for myself. When I smell secondhand smoke, my first reaction is, I hate it. I want to make it illegal. I want it out of my face. They're making me uncomfortable. And then I stop and I say, wait, I'm being a hater. I'm being a hater and I'm trying to figure out ways to take away someone else's freedom. 
And so I stop myself and I say, no, you know what? I would rather have a little bit of secondhand smoke uh, that I have to breathe in exchange for that person also not taking away my freedom. So mm. where do we draw the line and say, let's stop trying to make everybody comfortable and and, and instead let's embrace freedom. Let's, let's not take away someone else's right unless it has some serious consequences to us. And America is going so far this other direction. And it's my duty to use steroids and ladyboys as examples of ways to, per, to perpetuate freedom and to show people that, you know what, you might feel uncomfortable because I'm talking about ladyboys and I'm talking about steroids, but what if I go and I analyze your life and I say, oh, you're, you're eating like vegans versus carnivores. Oh, you know, the vegans are going to try and take away the carnivores right to eat meat. Right. Right. And so it just, where does it stop? But by the time we're done, Unfortunately, the people who seek to control us, I call them enemies of freedom and all these special interest groups, are using us to fight against each other, to take each other's freedom away and keep us right on the edge. So anytime that they can do something to further their financial interest, they can pass it off as, you know, some kind of political correct thing that they've created this mind control of long before they actually made the decision to, to control our finances around it. And it's going way off base, I know, but... It's freedom versus comfort if you want to summarize that whole concept by itself. And that's one of the reasons why I talk about steroids and ladyboys. Uh, years ago, I had uh, Janae Kroc on the podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but um, formerly uh, Matt Kroc. And he, he, was a, uh, he was a world record powerlifter, um, about as masculine as somebody could possibly imagine to be. Uh, whatever that definition would be, but, uh, he was a Marine. Um, he was, uh, world record setting power lifter. Uh, he was an absolute beast. He had these training videos where he would do these, uh, dumbbell rows with 220 pound dumbbells. He was just a savage animal squatted, uh, or I'm sorry, deadlifted, uh, over 800 pounds, just incredibly, incredibly strong, shredded Jack did not look like a power lifter. He was like, the one guy that really stood out when he was powered, I think you're like, holy shit, man, that looks like a pro bodybuilder. And he actually did move on and, and do some bodybuilding. And then, um, so while I had the magazine, uh, while, while I had power magazine, I interviewed him. I used to do a lot of the interviews for, for power magazine. And I made a comment just cause I was joking around because I, I it was just rumored that he dressed up like a girl. And so I, um, I said something to the effect of uh, like the first question out of the gate was, you know, a comment basically saying, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that you have a, a world record, uh, you, know, you know, as a male powerlifter, but maybe uh, you could also uh, partake in being a female powerlifter. And, uh, cause, cause I, cause rumor has it, you know, you like to uh, dress up like a girl or something. I had no idea that there was any truth to any of this. And, uh, so he wrote back and replied to it. It was this long reply. And then he kind of even further answered it in the second, uh, part of it too. And I was like, Whoa. So I called him cause he and I, we were friends and we, we still are, we still are friends. I called him up and I, I said, Matt, I said, Hey, I said, you know, first of all, in no way was I trying to hurt your feelings at all. I just hurt, you know, guys were teasing and they said that you dressed up like a girl. So I thought it'd be funny cause we know each other. I'm like, not trying to hurt your feelings or anything like that. And I said, this is like, I will publish whatever you want me to publish. But I said, I think this is too much. I think people, I don't think people are ready for this kind of thing. 
and uh, he had a sponsorship with Muscle Tech at the time. He's in every magazine. You you for, have for sure seen him before. Uh, all the Cell Tech ads from from back in the day. And I, I said, you know, I, I think you get a pretty uh, pretty good uh, salary from them, and I, I I think that your sponsors and other people would be kind of the first to be like, whoa, you know, what's going on here? And so uh, he agreed, and I said, you know, let's let's uh let's make reference to it so that way you can because i i know that you probably want to like uh be more out and stuff but let's just leave it as like a joke and not get so in depth about it because i had no idea that he he wanted to become a female and so uh as he and i went back and forth on like how to you know put this information out there we put it out in a in a, wait, in a tasteful wait, you're saying, you're saying it's not just dress up he actually identifies with themselves as a female such as a playtime i don't know where his current like state is i don't know uh but now he goes under the name janae croc um he's always wanted to be a female and uh so yeah that's that's um that's the route uh she decided to go i guess you'd say um well, but it was, but it was interesting and it was really educational for me. And then when I had, I had Janae Kroc on the podcast and, uh, we talked kind of in depth about all these different situations and stuff. And as soon as, uh, as soon as Matt Kroc was, um, uh, outed by somebody on YouTube, um, it just started an onslaught of all kinds of crazy, hateful stuff towards him. Uh, it was really, really, uh, just, it was overwhelming and it was disgusting, you know, to see. But the way this picture, so on the left, this is Matt Kroc, mm-hmm. and on the right, this is Matt Kroc dressed up as, now this right. is the right. new Janae Kroc? Correct. Yep. Wow. Wow. Mind blown, right? Yeah. So that's tranny, not a lady boy, just to be clear. I, I don't want to have sex with Janae Croft. But <laughs> right, be, right, right. But I'll right. be bros. I'll be bros with her. Yeah. We train together. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, like when I, ha- I had her on the podcast and stuff and we took uh, some pictures together and stuff, people were like, oh, you're a faggot and all this stuff. I'm like, what the? F-? I'm like, this is somebody I've been friends with for over a decade. Mm. And now because I find out information about them that doesn't, like that doesn't impact wow. me uh, negatively at all. That doesn't hurt. That doesn't, you know what I mean? I, I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel like I was lied to or anything. I'm like, I've been friends with this person for a long time. So why wouldn't I continue to be friends with them? But man, it was crazy. The, uh, that's, this is, I'm, I'm looking, this is, this is Matt Croc here. Yeah. So wow. The, the, the face is so feminine now. So right. Like so the, the yeah. So the, everything. so the first picture, that last picture you saw was kind of before, I think some of the hormones and some of the uh, plastic surgeries and things like that. Oh, wow. Oh, she's getting prettier and prettier. Yeah. Can I get a hey now? Yeah. <laughs> Makes for a pretty sexy chick. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's uh, it's definitely different. They, I know they worked on a, a documentary um, on her, but I don't know if it ever came out. And it has the uh, appropriate title of Transformer, which I thought was pretty good, a pretty good name for it. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't ever understand. I, I do understand that people don't understand what somebody else is going through. I do understand that, uh, it makes some sense to me, uh, to be confused by something that someone's doing. I was very confused by what he was working towards or going towards, but guess what? So was he, he was very, you know, he was in constant conflict and he, um, you know, lost a lot of relationships. he lost a lot of people that he loved. 
because because of all this. So he's like, you know, it's just it's, he said it was so hurtful uh, because there were so many people, you know, saying that you know uh, she was doing these things for publicity and stuff. He's like, this is ripping my family apart. Like yeah. this is this is the way I've always felt, and it's like. I just don't know why we don't have better perspective. Look, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that I know exactly how he feels, but why can't I sit here and say, I understand enough. Just let him do it. Let him, let somebody do their own thing. Who cares? Yeah, Let them do their own thing. None of your business <laughs> right, in right, a negative right. way. Uh, but this is a good example of how we all have, there's no reason like someone like him probably struggling a lot with this because of the way America still looks at it. And it's not making it any better by bringing so much attention to what we got to call a transgender and transgender bathrooms and all that is not the solution. Love and acceptance is a solution. And also, uh, honesty, because there's a lot of other people that have the same feelings that he does, the same desires, and we bury them. And if we're more honest about what our little weird idiosyncrasies are and our weird desires are, it, we're going to find more people that also have those same things that don't have the courage to come out. So someone like this who can come out publicly and talk about it is a hero for a lot of people out there who have the same feelings that don't have the environment or people around them to support them. And so they can be connected. And that that's the beautiful thing about the internet. And I wish it wasn't so getting so censored because it's a great way for people with weird things to connect with each other. So it's not really weird anymore because yeah. a lot of us have these common weird things. I've, I've got these weird things. And when I started sharing, heck the lady boy thing. Well, you like, learn sometimes that they're not even that weird. Yeah. The lady boy thing. Like I realize I start talking openly about lady boys and holy cow, the amount of people that come to me and like, there's a lot of other people that like the lady boy thing too. Looks... A lot more than I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I make a joke of it more than anything, but, but like, you know, there's a lot of people with those, these type of fetishes and things that, um, if they, they wouldn't feel so alone. The problem is a negative thing is we feel so alone and we feel like we have to hide. How weird and unaccepting was everybody of steroids before my brother made bigger, stronger, faster. Yeah. So many people came to me and my brother and were like, dude, thank you so much. Like I, I watched it with my girlfriend. Now she kind of understands and I was able to come out. You know, that's what they said. They, mm -hmm. they were able to like, quote unquote, come out. They were able to say, Hey, you know what? Like, you know, about that movie we watched, you know, I've been on this stuff for the last year and, and to have to hide something like that from somebody is not, that's not great. You know, to, you want to try to share and be as open as humanly possible. Obviously you can't always be a hundred percent open with everything because that, that just doesn't make any sense, but you have to be as open as possible. All right, right Mark. So let's have you share something, share something, <laughs> some semi, it, it could, you could have talked about it before, but something that would be a little bit shocking to most people about something that's weird about you that maybe some other people are hiding that would, would feel more connected by learning that there's someone else out there like that. You got any weird things like that? Uh, I don't have anything that I view as being that weird. I would say. Um, you know, I guess like I sucked my thumb until I was like 12, you know, I peed the bed until I was like 12. Like I, you know, there's some things like that, but like currently, you know, I, I mean, I do like watch pornography and I do some things like that, but I think that's pretty normal. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, how about weird? What's the weirdest porn you like? Can you, can you talk about the weirdest? Oh, weirdest. Um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty straightforward. It's not that, uh, it doesn't get that crazy. There's not a lot of like people getting tied up and whipped and things like that. <laughs> I, I like cream pie, accidental cream pie. 
<laughs> that's, that's now you're ma- great. Now you're making me hungry. <laughs> Maybe that's why, because it has oh, food. It involves a food American term pie. That's terrible. Apple pie. Uh, and interracial too. I like to see the different skin colors, the contrast, the different skin colors and stuff. <laughs> We can go on forever with this because this is a, <laughs> this is actually like when I moved super training from uh, a, a private gym into uh, somebody else's uh, facility for a while, I had to explain to them. I was like, these guys are loud. They're abrasive. They're going to be like bleeding and they're fat and they're sweaty, you know, and, and they predominantly talk about like either drugs or porn. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, that's like, if you're walking past them, that's probably what you're going to hear. And they were like, okay, I'm cool with that. And so it ended up working out, you know, it's but good I had you to, set the expectation. I know I had there. to, I Can't had to tell them like, yeah, Juan and uh big Roy. That's mm-hmm. all they, that's all those two ever talked about. You can get them going on that thing forever. And you might find some syringes in the bathroom or yeah. on the floor <laughs> Hey, that's right. how you know you're in a hardcore gym, oxygen gym, Kuwait. There's uh, these little syringes I carry around. They're everywhere. Yeah, they're in the parking lot. So of course. I remember that from uh, the Arnold Classic going um, to uh, watch the WPO finals, which was a powerlifting uh, thing. You'd find ampules and yeah, I mean it was just it was just rampant. It was just every no one no one cared. It was just you're like holy shit. All right, these guys are these guys are pretty damn serious. And at that time, I I wasn't taking anything, so I was really taken back by. It. I was like, okay, this is this world. I was like, holy shit. These guys are pretty serious. Where can people find you? Well, because I get censored constantly, you got to be a little creative in finding me. Mm. So you look up Dr. Tony Huge online. You look up Enhanced Athlete online. Uh, The new Instagram, until it gets censored, is Dr. Tony Huge. Um, And then through any of the Enhanced Athlete means. What have I been posting? Like if I look at my phone and see what I'm posting to a lot, I'm on the Snapchat under Enhanced Athlete, but that'll probably get censored again sometime soon. You really got to just hunt Dr. Tony Huge. Hunt me down. It's worth it because I get censored for a good reason. I put out content that isn't available anywhere else, and it's very controversial. A question I didn't ask. I forgot. Um, why did you? Uh, why did you leave the? Why did you leave the uh, world of being an attorney? Uh, it, a lot of things at one time, but I think the main reason was my baby mama got pregnant on purpose to trap me. And I was like, you know what? I would rather burn my whole career and all my money than have her have won this game of manipulation to try to control me. Because at the time I had roughly seven girlfriends, I was rotating like a Monday girlfriend, Tuesday girlfriend. So she was like a Tuesday girlfriend. And then here she comes in trying to get pregnant so that she can consume all the other days of the week and my resources and all that, which is a strategic move. It's a chess move. It's a chess game, you know, some women kind of seek out successful men to try to trap them so they can be financially covered the rest of their life. And that is I'm trapped financial plan, <laughs> man. Do I got it rough? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's different now though. Her and I are still together. Things are pretty good. So yeah. here we had to go through that because I, and I, and I spoiled her for a long time and I, I took really good care of her and that was a mistake to do. I was spoiling her under duress. Mm so that she wouldn't take me to court and all this stuff. So, But there was a lot of other things too. Like being a lawyer was really hard for me because I am very honest and very open. And there's times when you're a lawyer, you cannot be honest. And it's really hard for me to what do. What kind of uh, litigation did you do? I practiced 
a lot of areas of law because I started out as a general practitioner, which I wouldn't recommend for any lawyer to do because there's too much to know. I was billing. I would only bill for actual time I was productive, not the time I was learning. Mm. So I would work 18 hour days and I'd only be billing for like three hours because the rest I'd be learning. I'd be at the law library, just buried in books and researching cases and learning family law and collection law and financial law and bankruptcy law. But when the bankruptcy boom happened, then I shifted more of my attention to bankruptcy law and I started taking on cases. Um, I started uh, doing what you call special appearances for other attorneys. So I would be the courtroom attorney and the other attorneys would be the attorneys doing all the paperwork and behind the scenes. And I started picking up more and more clients until I was at the courthouse all day, every day for like five different attorneys. And all of a sudden I became a master of the courtroom. And then at the oh, same time, I started you're a good speaker. Take, yeah. Okay. At the same time I started taking Explains my own cases and I'd have my laptop. So here I'm working on five other attorneys cases in the courtroom. And then in between I'm on my laptop working on my own cases, built up the biggest bankruptcy law firm in Northern California and had had over 6,000 clients that I've passed wow. through my hands, uh, which is awesome because it gave me the ability to see everybody's internal financial stuff. But the more I got to know and the more I got to learn, the more I got to not like how the American legal system works. And uh, corruption is a very broad term and people would misinterpret it when I say corruption. It's not like bribing a judge. It's not that type of corruption. Mm. It's corruption in the way that the laws are written and the laws are enforced to not for our benefit, not us little people, but for the benefit of all the special interests that really control us. So all of my conspiracy theories got uh, validated and it started making me think really negative about the world. And it was really hard for me to see. That was hard for me to interact with a lot of other lawyers that were really bad people because I got into law because it was my dad's dying wish and also because it was my opportunity to help people. But I didn't realize in law, when you're helping someone on one side, you're hurting someone on the other also. Mm. So there is there is no real happy ending. And uh, my other problem with it was I'm helping, even though I, I wanted to expand my influence, help clients on a one-by-one -one basis, you're helping one person at a time. And then I wanted to expand, so I had 30 employees, so I'm helping as many people as I can, as many clients at the same time, but it's still not enough. I traveled to Asia when I was uh, 30, roughly 30 years old, and I realized I'm not making a big impact on the entire world. I'm making a big impact on a small region, you know, Sacramento, Northern California. And I have the capability to help people on a much larger scale in much more meaningful ways. And I didn't intend for Enhanced Athlete and my information to... I'll say it became a vehicle for me to express my political beliefs, which is the more important part of everything that I do. The steroids, the, the lady boys, everything, like I said, it's all a tool to try and change people's perspective because I'm constantly being pulled down. I can rise so much higher, but I'm constantly getting pulled down by jealousy, by censorship, by people trying to infringe on our freedom. If I can make the world a little bit more of a free place and a little bit more to embrace quality of life, then I can stop being pulled down so much and I can transcend and I can bring the whole world with me. And so for that, I also sacrificed my career, not just the baby mama situation, but there was a bigger picture to it, sacrificed my career and uh, went down this very risky path that I'm on right now that who knows where it will lead, but it's very rewarding in the meantime.
uh, did you sell the law firm or sell off your clients? Or I did. I sold it and I got uh, decent money out of it. So I was able to live off the law firm uh, proceeds for a while. I had built, the law firm was worth a lot um, because I had such a massive flow of clients and it had such a good reputation and, and good marketing and everything. So I was able to sell it to one of my lawyers who was my associate attorney and he took over the practice and he just killed it. I mean, a good way. <laughs> killed it could go either way. Yeah. He nailed it. I mean, he, I left him with some very complex cases. I did a lot of chapter 11 reorganizations where I take businesses. I completely restructure the business and make it profitable again, mm. which is one of the ways I learned so much about business. And I left him with some very challenging cases and I taught him really well and he worked really hard and the clients love him and they all ended up really well and I got paid. Yeah. That's fantastic. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You, uh, you know, shared a lot with us and, um, you know, hopefully you guys are more educated on SARMs. You can make a, uh, you know, a better educated decision on, you know, what you're seeing, what you're reading. Do you, do you, uh, suggest anywhere that people go a particular website to, uh, find out more information on SARMs or there's some reliable sources? Your best source of information on the entire internet for things about SARMs and research chemicals is, and will be anabolictv.com. Now, not all of the videos that I've shot are up there yet. They're constantly being added. So you got to keep checking back and the indexing system is constantly being improved so that you can search like search the name of a SARM and find out what you, what you want to know about it. And the difference is what the information you get there is real world experiments that we do and knowledge that we gain, not biased information and not just regurgitating information from medical studies and rats that may ap apply to rats, but not to humans. So it's, it's one of the few places you can get unbiased, accurate information about research chemicals, SARMs, steroids, peptides, all this stuff. Awesome. Do more, be more. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later. <laughs>